Just wanted to take a second, give a big congratulations to the three teams that were all in a battle for the National League playoff race this year with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, first to Milwaukee, congratulations on a great season, man. You guys got that, that third world market or whatever it's called and all the yellow beer you guys produce. So congratulations to you, cheers. And then LA, wow, man, if you guys would have spent just a little bit more money, maybe maybe you guys would be in the playoffs too. And then when you consider right now, it's one to nothing in world championships between, you know, your team and Arizona, unless you count, you know, championships that happen without real regular seasons, but it's one to nothing right now, because we all know with a real crowd, you know, David Roberts, Dave Roberts could never handle the pressure of like real 162 game season baseball or Anthony Davis couldn't handle that for, for that matter. And then, wow. What can you say about the Phillies? Man, Philly. You know, that two-game losing streak that you have at home, that that hurts. Maybe, maybe if you had just a little bit better of a home crowd, you guys could be going to the World Series. But sorry it didn't work out for you. Cheers, Diamondbacks. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is you decided to make Big Sky Sports Talk a part of your day. My family and I greatly appreciate it. You have found the only podcast in the world completely devoted to the full coverage of the four major franchises of one major market. That's Phoenix, Arizona. We do things a little bit differently. We do it from Big Sky Country, Billings, Montana. We cover air, uh, ASU football and ASU basketball to go along with it. All presented by the unofficial presenting sponsor, Booyah Billings. That's probably the only way that I will ever hit the post right there. And I didn't quite hit it. Um, brief sound credit. That was Doug Franz of Doug Franz Unplug, Kind of openly mocking the Phillies, the Dodgers, and the Brewers. <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I wanted to play that. And I didn't know where. I'm like, you know what? Boom. Intro. Let's do it. And then I'll explain it later. Um, but first, hi. How are you? Hope you're doing well as I get a little hiccup in my throat. Um, I'm uh, I'm doing great. <laughs> Me personally, I'm doing great. Uh, I guess if you're a Brewer, a Dodger, or a Philly fan, you're, you're not doing so great. Um, but, uh, but I am, I most certainly am, uh, doing, doing real good. Um, as, you, uh, you might could tell that, that, uh, the Diamondbacks did it advance to the world series and, uh, October baseball is good, but November baseball, it's better. And that is for certain. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pretty jacked up uh as i said that was uh that was doug franz um on his uh twitter so uh doug franz unplugged 
and uh, uh, all of them at WTSM TV, they they get the credit for that. Yeah, well, I mean, that was Doug Franz's personal Twitter, so I don't know if WTSM TV had a whole lot to do with it. Um, but uh, Doug uh, mocking the teams, um, obviously, obviously starting with the Brewers, and um, then the Dodgers part was was my personal favorite. Because if you think about it, and, and to kind of clarify, you know, some some of you Dodger fans that might be listening, no, we have way more World World Series appearances and, and wins than than the Diamondbacks as a franchise. It's not one and one. Well, you know, if if, if it, and I think where he was going, and and since the uh, conception of the Diamondbacks franchise from '98 until now, it's one and one, and if you know. If you don't count, and you have to technically count, but if you don't count the Dodger World Series that they've won, they don't have any. So it's Diamondbacks that won, and and of course mocking their organization that all the money they they're spending and yet they're they're sitting at home watching. So um, I I couldn't uh, help but uh, get a crack out of that, and and then. Obviously, not really mocking the Phillies fan, um, but, you know, the whole narrative of how loud it gets. I mean, there was there was a sound meter that was shown on the broadcast at one point in time that I think it showed 111 decibels, I think, or 100, 100 no, that sounds kind of kind of high. I think it was bouncing between 102 and 107. Um, if I remember correctly, and so yeah, and then they're fans, they're they're fanatics, they're you know, no pun intended of the Philly fanatic, their um mascot, but they're of course jacked up and um and had until game six and seven never lost in their stadium this this postseason, and so. I just I thought it was great and um and then uh you know just giving old cheers to everybody. I thought that was that was funny. So I uh I really enjoyed that. Figured that some of you guys might as well. Um I do believe that's it. I, you know, long work day yesterday. Um, off today, I will go in for a little while today, um, depending on how long it takes me to do, do this, this show. Um, it is, uh, almost 10 o'clock and I'm just now getting started and I have well over an hour of D-backs, about 45 minutes of Cardinals, about, uh, 30 minutes of, of Suns, um, 30 minutes of ASU football, 15, 20 minutes of um, Coyotes. Um, so I have, I have a, a lot going on and a lot to, to get to. And so with that, we've got sound credits. We'll go um, that again. Uh, Doug Franz unplugged the, his uh, Twitter, Doug Franz's Twitter. Um, I think it's at Unplugged Doug if you want to check him out. And then... Um, NHL YouTube page will give us the uh, Coyotes and Kings from from last night 
um, or not last night, um, Wednesday, or no, Tuesday night, excuse me, Tuesday night's, um, um, game, um, then I have azcardinals.com, we'll, uh, give us the Jonathan Gannon, the coordinators, Josh Dobbs, and Zayvon Collins, um, Arizona Sports, their YouTube page gives us a couple of different things. Um, Sun Devil Source gives us ASU. Um, and then uh, dbacks.com gives us all the dback sound that we'll, we will be using. So I believe that's everything. That's that's all uh, sound credits. We will uh, go ahead and get things kicked off. Uh, I think the, the direction I want to go is uh, Cardinals first. And we'll save the D-backs for last. I think that's what I want to do. Save the best for last. Uh, I'll be all up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. Muya Burgers, Fries, Shakes, and Billings is the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. There are several Muya locations throughout the United States and a couple of locations internationally. Let's start out with the food. The burgers are fantastic. They have burgers for every lifestyle, vegan, keto, low-calorie, as well as gluten-free. My personal favorite is the Cheddar Bacon Barbecue Burger. Their fries are always fresh, and don't forget about the Muya sauce. You can get a shake to go along with it. Though the food is good, I always leave satisfied, but their customer service is at the top. Rico, he's the general manager of Muya Billings. He and his staff are top-notch. They are located at 2695 King Avenue West in Billings, Montana. So go see my guy, Rico. He'll hook you up and tell him I sent you. Muya Billings, the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. All right. Uh, as per usual, um... We have uh, the coordinators uh, spoke to the media, Drew Petzing, Nick Rollis, um, and uh, Jeff Rogers. I spoke to the media uh, on Tuesday. And then uh, uh, yesterday, Jonathan Gannon, uh, Josh Dobbs, and Zayvon Collins spoke to the media. So we'll, we'll go ahead and do um, Tuesday and Wednesday coverage for the uh, Cardinals in um, kick it off with uh, Drew Petzing. Last week, uh, and I know you, you've talked about how the running backs are a game-to-game -game kind of situation, but to have Keontae have no snaps, to, is there any particular reason for that? Does Amari just stand out, and, and can that change, or is that kind of where you think are, things are set up? Yeah, I'd say a very fluid situation. I mean, he certainly, I thought he was playing at a high level, uh, had some explosive runs, uh, showed some dynamic ability. So we kind of rode the hot hand in the game, but it's very much a week-to-week matchup-based, scheme-based in terms of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So uh, very fluid. How do you guys fix the issues in the passing game right now? 
Got to call a better plays. Uh, you know, I think I got to find ways to make sure I'm putting the right guys in position to make plays, uh, making sure it's clean for the quarterback, uh, making sure that we're attacking what the defense has given us. So, you know, I think a lot of that falls on me. I certainly got to be better in a lot of areas. Uh, and then in terms of execution, uh, you know, making the right decision, putting the ball where it needs to be placed, pass protection, being at the right depth. I think all of that plays into it. But, I, you know, I'm going to start myself and to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to give those guys the, the chance to be better. Real quick, where does the running game fit in the passing game? Like, how important is it to complement the passing game with that? Yeah, th that complement is huge. I think it's what makes it hard on the defense. So you're playing the run, you're playing the pass. If you know you're only defending one, you know how you drop, how you rush, how you play defense, I think, becomes easier. Uh, if you don't know and they all look the same, I think it can become difficult, and that's where you can create some explosive plays in the passing game and really some favorable looks in the running game as well. So that will certainly be a focus. I don't know how specific you can get on this next question, but back to the game plan and weaknesses, schemes, and all that that goes into it. Is is there a way without specifics that you can kind of explain what goes into that and say choosing which running back over another in terms of matchups and those things? Yeah, good question. I think, and again, it, it is so week to week. And hey, what type of schemes do we feel like? Is it a wide zone game, a tight zone game, a gap scheme game? You know, certain guys are better in certain areas or have a little bit more juice. And then I think you go into the game with a plan, but depending on how guys play early in the game, they may end up getting more reps or more carries because of their performance. So I think it's a combination of hey, what offensive runs do we want to emphasize? And we think that we have some guys that do well. Uh, how does pass protection play into that based on defensive pressures, uh, things that they give us that could be an issue that put that guy in a tougher spot? Um, and then kind of just the flow of the game. I'd say those three areas, and those kind of hopefully give you a little bit more drilled down on what two of those three areas can be. Is that kind of explained to the guys during the week so they're, they're aware of what the plan will be? will likely be, so they're not kind of taken by surprise. Absolutely. I think that's a big part of the communication during the week is critical, you know, because you never want a guy to walk out on the field and play a lot more than he expected or a lot less than he expected. Um, and they also understand, hey, it is fluid and things do change, but here's kind of the plan, and then knowing that the plan can change. I mean, the reality, too, is injuries happen. So, you know, it can change the third play of the game or the first play of the game. But, yes, definitely need to communicate that and make sure everybody's on the same page going into Sunday second half that has kind of not allowed the offense to be able to put points on the board? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think certainly the defense makes some adjustments and doing some things hard. I think execution's a part of it. And then I think a lot of it goes to the, what we talked about earlier. Is I, I got to give some better plays and better opportunities for our key players in critical situations to make sure uh, that those guys are touching the ball and that they are affecting the game in the second half so that we do find a way to get some points. You know, we've been close. I mean, we've been in the red zone multiple times. We've been on the plus territory, and we got to find a way to get it in. How frustrating is it, before we get to that how frustrating is it question, um, it's unbelievable to me, and I keep on talking about it every year, or every every year, every week, because we're going to do uh, ASU uh, next, but I keep on talking about every week how similar this Cardinals and ASU organization and squad, not necessarily the organization, well, I guess organizationally, uh, in a way, both, uh, you know, rough spot organizationally, um, but you can't really blame the coaching staff and the and the players. It's all the upper uh, pieces, if you will. Both of them only have one win. Both of them offenses is struggling. That last question asking the Drew about the offense and you know what what you know. What's the plan of getting it going? How come it can't get it going? 
Same thing is ha- uh, happening in uh, in Tempe, and it's it's really really interesting. I, I didn't think um, it would be this bad for for both. Um, I I knew it would be bad, but I didn't think it'd be this bad. And then this similar. I mean, the defense for ASU is not really scoring any points. The defense for the Cardinals aren't necessarily scoring a whole lot of points, but they're keeping their uh, respective offenses in the game to the best of their ability. They they both defenses are by far and away better than the offense, and the. The the uh, struggle is it's it's interesting for for both squads, and both need to find a way to get it fixed and get it fixed in a hurry. And I don't know if it is for the Cardinals a return of Kyler Murray, um, if for the ASU, if it's a um. I don't know. I I would I don't I don't think they're gonna go the route of uh Jaden Rashada even though he's better athletically. But it you know, something's gotta change. Knowing that you have been able to be so close to it and week after week that's kind of been the consistent theme with the offense. Yeah, it's hard. And it's also encouraging at the same time, which is kind of a, a weird dynamic because you're not a million miles away. You're not looking at saying, God, we need to change everything. We need to fix everything. We need to be exponentially better. But at the same time, you can taste it and you know how close you are and you're not getting it done. So I think there's some frustration in that and certainly some things to be encouraged by and to build off of. So do you look at it as just kind of a one play away type of mentality? We try to deal it down even more than that. It's one-on-one battles. It's winning my one-on-one. It's doing my job. It's calling the right play at the right time. It's all the little details individually that we can get better at. And if all of us strive just a little bit more or do a little bit more, hopefully we can kind of get over that hump. You've mentioned in the past how sometimes, man, it'll just keep you up at night thinking of this play or that play. So if we get specific on what Zach was talking about, especially fourth quarter, you get to the 15-yard line, and it's looking pretty good there, one touchdown game. And then all of a sudden, it's just, is that something you look and say, oh, man, obviously, I know, guy, that you second guess yourself, or everyone does. Certainly. I think anytime you don't execute or it doesn't work out the way you want, you go back and say, all right, hey, why didn't it? What can I do different if I get back in that situation? And how do I get myself back in that situation? How do we make sure we're at the 15 yard line with that opportunity? Um, and sometimes it's calling the same play because they're not expecting you to, right? So there's that, it's that game theory of like, you don't want to change. You do want to change. You want to make sure you're hard to defend. But it's certainly what keeps you up at night, and it's what keeps you busy during the week to make sure you're planning for those, you know, those uh, events. Right? You don't want to be spur of the moment like, hey, I didn't have a plan for this. Hey, this is what we're going to do when we get down there. This is how we're going to do it, and we got to go out and execute. And then if it doesn't work, hey, was it execution? Was it the scheme wasn't right? All those things go into it. Are the mistakes, the issues that are happening, are they stuff that repeats themselves, or are they new things every week? Combination. You know, I think certainly if it's a repeat, that's a problem. So that certainly has to get corrected quickly. Um, That's something we always kind of say, hey, you can make a mistake. We're all going to make mistakes. But repeat mistakes are a problem. So I think a lot of times it is, you know, you fix one thing, something else goes wrong. Or, hey, you didn't expect that and you got this. So I think it's more that than repeat mistakes, but certainly plenty of stuff that we need to continue to clean up to make sure we don't repeat things that have happened in the past. On the 
the flip side of that, is there something that's kind of been consistent throughout these first seven weeks that you can kind of point to and say, from an offensive perspective, we've done a really solid job at this? Uh, two things that, that I think I'm really proud of. One is the effort and the engagement from the guys. You know, I think regardless of score, regardless of the outcome, those guys are playing until the final whistle in every game, which is something that we certainly emphasize in a major way in the room. Uh, I think it's what gives you the opportunity to be in games and to stay in games, late in games. Um, and I think we've run the ball really well. And I think it takes all 11 to do that, including the quarterbacks, certainly. Um, the offensive line, the runners, guys blocking on the perimeter, the tight ends. So certainly that's something we're proud of. We need to continue to do well, and it's not going to be easy because if you do something well in this league, people are going to adjust and try to take it away. So we need to continue to do that. And I think as we talked about kind of in the passing game, we know there's some areas we need to improve. Over the last few weeks before Sunday, there have been kind of, a, kind of a job share going on in left guard. And then that didn't happen uh, Thursday with Cologne taking all the snaps and Dennis not playing at all. We, and I know Jonathan said yesterday he thought Cologne did a pretty good job. But any specific reason why Daly didn't get a shot or was Cologne playing pretty well? Yeah, I think Cologne played pretty well. I think it was you know more about his performance than it was about anything else anybody did. I think he kind of earned that opportunity and took advantage of it and played at a at a high level. So I was really pleased with his performance. And I, he certainly brings a level of energy and enthusiasm and I think the offense can feed off of as well. I know you always know that Baltimore is going to be a tough team. When, when you see what, what happens Sunday, does that ramp up at all, or you just know that's going to be a, a big challenge anyway? I think certainly the last game, you take a little bit more from the last game than maybe previous games from a scheme standpoint, but they've been good all year and, and really for multiple years. You know, Playing them twice a year, being in that division, it's a really well-run organization, a really well-coached team, and a great defense. Um, Mike does a great job since he's been there. Um, it's going to be tough. You know, We got our hands full, and we got to make sure that we're locked in this week in a major way. Shifting gears just a tad, um, what did you see out of Kyler last week in terms of his ability to take what he's learned in the classroom and watching practice for months and implementing it? He was awesome. You know, I think his engagement in the meeting room certainly showed up. You saw some strides quickly. Like, it was something that didn't take very long. Like, I got it. That's what we talked about in the meeting room. Here it is on the field. I'm going to go out and make sure that I'm focused on it and getting it done. So really encouraged by that. Uh, he was really into it. I think it was exciting and fun for him to be out there. So it was great to see that. I mean, anytime you go through an injury and a rehab like that, your first time back on the field, there's some emotion, some energy. And uh, it was good to see that from him. the learning curve right now for him and putting all of what he's learned into place? Is it where you thought he would be? Is he ahead of us kind of? Or is he behind a little bit? Like how would you? That's a great question. In a lot of ways, I think he'd probably answer that better than me. Um, but I was really encouraged with how well he did making that transition. You know, I think it's, it's not an easy one. And it's not always going to be smooth. But it certainly, he's asking the right questions. He's doing the right things. I think he's putting himself in a position to be successful and operate the offense when he's out there. So really excited about that. There's a, there's a report out there that Zach's going to be out for a while. What has been your evaluation of, of Trey at this point, And is he ready to take a bigger role? That's what's needed. Trey's a nice job. I, I, and I, you know, we talked about that room as a whole, and certainly Trey's a big part of that. Um, so really encouraged by any, you know, Trey, Jeff, um, Elijah. Or I trust all three of those guys wholeheartedly to come in, not miss a beat, and continue to play at a high level. Um, and certainly Trey's play, his production, what he's done, what he brings to the offense, I think has shown up in a major way, and expect that to continue. You mentioned Elijah. I think Sunday was... I do wonder, and, and uh, this is... You know, kind of out of uh, left field, but I do wonder if Zach Ertz is is going to retire at the end of this year. He, he you know, he's you know getting up there, but he's not like old for 
for any, you know, stretch of the imagination, his position is very physical, blocking, catching, and and all and everything he does. You know, he's always in traffic with uh, his routes, you know, up the middle and stuff like that. Um, and the injuries, he, you know, that well, it is a knee injury he just got back from, and this is, I believe, a hamstring, um, or something like that. I, you know, just so back to back, and I, I don't, I wonder, you know, if being a brand new dad takes a, a an effect at all in his decision up in the upcoming year. Um, his wife is retired. So, you know, I wonder if it's like, all right, you know what? We we've made made decent money. It's uh it's time to, you know, be a family. I think he has a lot of reason to retire. And of course the back to back injuries from last year and now again this year that will keep uh keep him missing uh, quite a bit of time. Uh I wonder if that's his thought process. If he was asked about it, he's like, I'm not thinking, you know, he would guarantee you, he'd say, I'm not thinking about that right now. But I, I just, I can't help the wonder, especially, you know, when that question was asked. I mean, exactly. I got some snaps and got a target. What have you seen? I know it must be hard to come to a team when he did and talk about that progress through these first two months. Yeah, he's done a great job of just jumping in and learning the offense and getting to know his teammates. I think it certainly helps having Zach and Jeff in that room, along with Trey, but two guys that are vets that have been around that are really helpful to bring guys under their wing and teach them the game to watch their process. Um, and I think he's done a really nice job of soaking that all in and making sure that when he got his opportunity, he was ready to go. Each guy has sort of their strong suit, or do you like there's the versatility such that you know everybody can do everything? A little bit of both. I, I think there's certainly, as you watch those guys on tape and watch what they've done in the past, there's certain things that they may do better than others or at a higher level. Um, but the goal for all of them is to be well-rounded and, and to be able to show up in all three phases of the game, play on special teams, have an impact at, on multiple downs. So uh, that's kind of been the emphasis in that room and certainly will continue. Why you want to bring Israel with you as your quarterback's coach? Love Israel for a lot of different reasons. I think you know certainly what he brings uh, to our coaching staff from his knowledge of the game, his ability to teach, his understanding of the offense, how I want to do things. You know, he was in the quarterback room with me last year, so I got really close with him as a person, which I think is very important. You know, in this business, you got to trust the people you're around because you spend a lot of time with them. Um, so he, aside, you know, the, the, the trust, the knowledge, his ability to communicate and teach, I think was very apparent to me. Um, in the year that we spent together, and then he was actually in my room when I was a tight end coach as part of the um, internship program in the off season, and just like immediately connected with him and kind of had a really tight relationship with him, and then saw what he can do as a coach. Kind of last year, as he got the opportunity to coach some of the younger guys and be a part of the room, so uh, was really excited to get him here and bring him into the organization. I think a little bit of it's what we talked about with Dobbs as well. It's that even keel. Never too high, never too low, really focused, you know, goal focused, understands what we're trying to accomplish, doesn't let emotions get in the way of saying, hey, here's what we did, here's where we need to go, here's how we do it. Whether it's to a player or to me as a coordinator saying, hey, you know, this is working, this isn't, let's try to go in this direction. And when I want to go in that direction, he's great. I want to say, hey, you know, this is why I don't, he's also awesome. So having guys like that that can push you and, and question you, but also you know are always going to be behind you when you make a decision and move forward, I think is really important. 
and he starts playing these games, how much will his experience change the way the team's playing and hopefully start to win again? His experience in terms of just past play and what he's been through or? Yeah, I, I think certainly the experience of the position, his ability to do it at a high level, it changes the dynamic of your offense. I mean, he's a he's an elite quarterback. Does that, uh, fix a lot of the problems that we're going through? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's it takes all eleven to be good on offense, and he's certainly a big part of that and a great player. But all ten other guys got to continue to do their job at a high level, and if they're not, Kyler can't fix all of that. And I think that's going to be really important to keep in mind for those guys, too. It's, hey, he's back out there. That doesn't change the nature of your job or what you're trying to get better at and what you're trying to do as we move forward. I really like that. Uh, it's very simple. But, uh, you know, because the, the they might not say it, but the thought process, the mindset of everybody in there is, uh, you know, when, man, when we get – Kyler back gonna gonna start winning some games, and that very well could be you know all that it is, um, you know because he's gonna cover up a lot of mistakes. But it doesn't mean that the other ten guys on that offense it aren't. It doesn't mean that they they don't need to do what they can do to help win games and get better um, in between each game at each practice. And no one's saying that they're not, but it's easy to kind of get in that mindset where, you know, your franchise quarterback, the face of the franchise, one of the biggest leaders or was supposed to be your biggest leader of the team, um, comes back you know, let's go, let, you know, and, and um, you know, we know he's going to cover up a lot of mistakes, so I don't have to give 100%. If that is the mindset, they're going to lose just as many games as they've already are already lost, and then some. So, um, but I, I do, I do like him, you know, just saying, hey, you know, kind of publicly, don't get it twisted. Everybody else still still has to do their job, um, you know. Kyler's not a be all end all fix fix everything kind of guy, but com him coming in most certainly can help. Or is the team to get him back? I I think we're gonna we're excited to have him back when he's ready, but I wouldn't say it's desperation. You know, certainly have complete faith in Josh and the ability of the guys that are out there to go operate at a high level, uh, and that's kind of be preached in the room, regardless who's playing quarterback and regardless who's at most of those positions. So uh, love him when he's out there because he's a great player and a great teammate, but also have full faith in the guys that are out there right now and really excited to get him out there on Sunday. Back to Izzy for a second. Obviously, he's a young guy. Is there a sense that you have looking at him and how he's come along that this is a guy who can – do great things going forward as he ascends through the coaching ranks in the NFL? Absolutely. There's no job in this business that I don't think he can handle and, and do at a high level. Where's he been most impactful with Kyler in terms of teaching him, helping him move along? Because like you said, he does have experience in this offense from 
Cleveland. I think that's a big part of it. It's the system, the mechanics, the footwork, the decision-making, the reads. You know, certainly he had that in the previous offense. We may do something a little bit different. And Kyler's going to have a lot of questions about that because he's never had to do it. So it's, hey, when he does have that question, and if I'm available, great. If Israel's available, I know he's going to get the right answer and it's going to get detailed the way it needs to be. So I think that's probably been the biggest area uh, that those two have been able to connect over. You saw Clayton throw a play last game. How does how's his progression gone? He's doing really well. I think that's the he's the same guy every day, and I think certainly that's an important thing in that role. Um, you need to improve yourself. You need to continue to work on your game. You need to make sure you're ready, number one. Number two is you need to help everybody else in the room make sure that they're doing their job at a high level. I think he's really embraced that. Uh, it's a really important role for the offense and a really impor important role in the quarterback room. Um, so he's done a nice job with that. Again, who, who, are, who are guys that you really obviously have to account for and be mindful of on that defense? That's a long list. Um, <laughs> But I think a number of those guys stand out. I mean, the front seven, really dynamic. Uh, certainly Humphreys on the back end, you know, at one of the best corners in the National Football League, especially when he's healthy. Um, the two inside linebackers probably stand out the most because they fly, they run, they hit. You know, certainly they're kind of the centerpiece of the identity of the defense in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's a, it's a really good group. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the defensive side of the ball. And... Uh, hear from Nick Rollis. What did you make of the Bakers' performance coming back? Yeah, he played good. Um, it was just, as honestly, it was refreshing just to have him there and seeing him suited up with his intensity. It kind of, as a coach, it, it, you, it, he fuels you a little bit. And so I can't imagine when you're playing next to him, you know, what, what that does. So it was great to have him back. Um, played good. Things that he wants to improve on and keep getting better. Game differently when you have Buddha Baker. Yeah, I, I say Buddha. What do you what are you thinking here? And and Buddha, uh, I mean, in all honesty, I will get you know smart players like Buddha's input on um, what he feels is is working well for us or what me what we might need or at least he's giving us feedback on what's going on out there. You know, a player's perspective is unique. Sometimes they they see things that you can't see um, from the sideline or even up in the booth. You know, it's a it's a feel thing, and it was you know. When he's out there, um, you know, the plan is the plan. So, you know, whether it's stuff that we wanted to stick with or adjust to, we had it structured throughout the week. But I definitely will get his input on uh, things that he wants to get done throughout the game. Into the decision behind starting Starling and then Keychon not getting snaps. Yeah, I mean, like every week we talk about it. It's what's best for what we need to do to win that game, and you know that was a. Decision we made as a as a group, you know, throughout um, the building here on what we felt was best going into the Seattle week of uh, stars practice good, key trails play good as well, and uh, we wanted to get star rolling and get some reps out there in the field. I thought he did a good job. There are a couple of personal decisions this week that guys who played a lot in previous games didn't play much or at all this week. Do you, as coaches, worry about? confidence with guys when you guys make a decision like what you do with Keechon and like that? Um, no. I think, you know, it's, it's important that when you're mapping out roles for each week that you, you're very clear as to why. Um, there's never anything with, with a player on uncertainty on what they need to continue to improve on or what the role that they're filling is. So I think clear communication is critical for that. And... You know, the players know that 
we got their back and we're doing week to week what we think is best, whether that's through playing time, packages, calls, whatever that is, to win the game. And so I think our players do a great job of embracing that and being the best in their role. Does that come from you and the communication or is it mostly from the position coach? Uh, it can be a combination of things on a on a um, week to week basis. You know, as far as roles or how we're playing the game, the the scheme of it, like a lot plays into that, and that's usually a collective thing that gets communicated at different points throughout the week. How, how important you mentioned Buddha? How important with him being back? How important was it with Garrett being out there for the first game? He talked afterwards about he really helped in some situations with lining up and things like that. How much did Buddha help with that? Did Buddha help with Garrett? Yeah, anytime you have an extremely smart player like Buddha on the field, he's going to help the entire defense, right? And, um, you know, rookie in his first game right next to a, a veteran all-pro guy that's extremely intelligent is definitely going to be beneficial, um, you know, for Garrett. And, if, you know, if he said it, there you go. That's He's the one that really knows having, having a guy like that next to him, the benefits of that. How much of right now is trying to keep guys' spirits up, trying to make sure they're still, you know, with the program and keep believing in, in what you guys are trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I think since since day one, before we played a game, we've talked about being very consistent with our behaviors, winning behaviors. And so that doesn't change. And I would say more than anything, it's reinforcement of this is how we need to continue to behave if we want to continue to get better and then start racking up some wins here in the win column. And you got to stick to that if you really believe it and you're convicted in what you're doing and we're convicted with what we're doing. So not saying that there's not things that we continually improve on and adapt throughout, but there's never a, a radical change week to week. And that's and that's something you got to preach whether you, you win a game or you lose a game is, okay, what happened? Where could we have been better? Where did we were good? How do we keep building on that? And you go forward from there and you don't look at it with any kind of emotion. You look at it from a very rational, how am I going to use this tape to get better? And so week to week, that's that's not going to change. And our players, that's their mindset. They do a great job with that. And you know, there's that's that's pretty much it. Do you see Jonathan as that being one of his strengths? Yes. In terms of being that even keel, so to speak, not you know, not too high, not too low, and communicating with the players. Yeah, I think Jonathan has set the tone for what that behavior looks like, right? You have to set those expectations as, as soon as you get here. And he's done that with the coaches. As soon as we got here, he set the expectations on what it looks like for us winning behavior. And that's really ultimately serving the players. Well, you don't, he doesn't just say serve the players. He maps it out very clear on what that looks like for each, each position coach or each coordinator or each quality control coach, whatever that is. Everyone plays a role in serving the players, and he mapped that out for the coaches. He did the same thing with the players on, okay, here's the different areas that we need to maximize ourselves to become the best players we can be, and here's how we continue to improve that week to week. And sometimes there's there's bigger emphasis on, hey, we need to improve this or this, right? Whether that's we need to improve this scheme, we need to improve this technique, we need to improve this recovery, this physical stuff, like whatever that is, Jonathan's very clear week to week on what that is with very even keel. He's the same guy every day. And that's important for us coaches to see. It's important for the players to see. He does a great job with it. With a guy like Starling, who came in obviously late after the after the cut to 53, how, how good, obviously, you, you all can feel his progress has been pretty good. But I'm sure the communication there was important too, saying, hey, here's what you got to do week to week to 
to earn more playing time. Yeah, credit credit to him and the position coaches, and really, you know, any player that hasn't been here since the spring has to has to do a little bit extra to make sure that they're caught up with it, and. You know, it's it's ultimately it's the that player and those position coaches that are putting in a little bit overtime because you don't think of this time as the time where you're getting a lot of time to meet extra with players, or you know you really can slow down because you're you're sped up because of a week to week preparation plan that you have to get going. And so, credit to them, that's like working overtime to get guys prepared and ready to play a game. And for a player like that's not easy either. You're you're trying to get caught up while also going out there competing every day at practice, getting ready for a, an opponent, understanding the new game plan wrinkles. Well, hey, what was the base structure of the, the defense in the in the first place? That's not easy. So credit to credit to Star and position coaches. He's had some pretty good stands in the deep red zone, some goal line stuff. What makes this, including in Seattle, what makes this defense so tough? Yeah, that was something that we that we focused in on this past week of, of being resilient, and you know it showed up in the red zone there of guys don't waver when you know a drive marches down and it feels like man they're moving it we're we're not doing a great job we don't know what it is quite yet we haven't got a chance to correct it and it doesn't it doesn't phase those guys I think that it starts with the leaders um, I can just picture in my head right now Gardeck talks about it Buddha talks about it it's. It's not about what's happened. We'll correct that and we'll and we'll move on. But hey, what do I have to do right now to make a play to help us out to get us behind the sticks to get off the field, whatever that is? And I thought our guys did a good job, and they've done a good job several times this year of digging down deep in in, in the red zone situations, you know, specifically, um, and 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 battling. You know, a, this game is is it's competitive. You got to. You got to give it your all every single play, and it's easy for anybody to ride the emotional roller coaster of a game. And so, that's not how we want to be. We want to be steady, um, emotionally steady, so that we can perform at a high level, play in and play out. And I think they've done a good job with that. It starts with the players. Standpoint at the goal line, is it just a matter of plugging the right holes, hitting the right gaps, just? It, well, it always it always starts out with execution of the call. So when we've had goal line stands, it doesn't matter necessarily what the plan was or what the call was. Like players that went out and executed it, and you know when you get down in there tight, yards are at a premium, and so you have to be a very efficient tackler. You can't allow for leaky yardage. You can't allow for movement up front. And I thought our D line did a great job of being stout playing primary to secondary gap. I thought the second level did a great job of coming in and, and getting on the ball carrier's legs and knocking it back and not allowing for those leaky yardage. Like That's what it takes when you get down in those tight red zone situations to be able to get off the field. And then also when they do pass it, to have the good the right eye discipline. I thought when they when they threw that ball on third down, you know they were looking for a little bit of undisciplined eyes to try to leak guys out late off of a play action. And we did a good job of having eye discipline um, and using our leverages to, to help best stop that pass play. So um, it's really the execution when you get down there. It doesn't matter what the call is. Players went out and executed. Yeah, so he, he had a nice rush the other day. It was good to see that where he kind of got clean. The ball got out quick, and you just see the flash of his ability to 
edge a guy. He actually went inside, so he went edge to edge on it. Um, I'm excited with his with his progress there and really every aspect of his game. Um, there's some technique things that I told him I want to see improve, and BJ is phenomenal, so he's like excited about going and working on that uh, this week at practice. But I think it's continuing to stack those little things um, as far as whatever is technique or execution of the scheme week to week, and it starts in practice. And when he continues to stack those, you, you're seeing him show up in the game more and more. You know, it's it's little details. Um, that maybe not you don't see a, a huge splash strip sack you know yet I hope hope that's coming down the line here soon, um, but he has improved with both the execution of the scheme and his techniques and he's going to continue to improve and it's and it starts with his practices every single week you know. There is to be a hundred percent honest there is golly man I'm uh, he he's a he's a dynamic player. And um, he can beat you in so many different ways. You got to be very sound with your rules. Um, you got to have a good plan. And you got to have a plan that the players can go out and execute at a high level. And he presents challenges that not a lot of people in this league can present with the arm talent to his, to his legs, you know. And I think the cool thing about Lamar is he can beat you in the pocket. He can beat you with his arm outside the pocket. He can beat you with his legs outside the pocket. He can beat you in the run game. His presence in the run game can allow for other people to have great days in the run game. Like that's a lot right there that one player brings to the table. Um, so yeah, I set my alarm clock like 30 minutes earlier this morning. So I slept good, but I I didn't s set as big of a window to sleep because I knew I had to get in here and make sure that I needed a little bit extra time to prepare for him. How much have you seen how they've improved like especially in the receiving department, guys around him on that. Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, Andrews plays a, high, is a plays at a high level, um, one of the best in the game. And I think the addition with Zay Flowers has been really good for them. He's a dynamic player, um, in and out of cuts, reliable target. And then I think, you know, Odell and um, Aguilar and, and Bateman are, are good players. So they're deep in that room with a really good tight end and a quarterback that can dish it. So. I mean, I feel like you guys ask me every week, like, how do you stop all these targets? The, the NFL is, is filled with, with really good receivers, honestly. And, and then, you know, these guys have also have a really good receiving tight end. So um, presents a lot of challenges, especially when the quarterback is more than equipped to, to get it to them. And if you take him away, he's going to take off on his own. So um, a lot of different things that you have to get ready to stop with these guys. How much you studied him, them in the past because, I don't know, I've never played him. I've been a, I've been an NFC guy that's just been hiding from this offense forever. So I was with the Vikings. As soon as, as soon as the Vikings were going to play him the next year, I went to Philly. And then, so you wouldn't be able to really comment, or I guess with tape you could. The difference in the offense with the new coordinator. Yeah, you know, you see some differences, um, kind of throughout. You know, I think as the week goes and and I get to study some of the situational stuff more, I'm sure there'll be some changes. But there also is a lot of similarities. You know, a lot of that staff came back uh, familiar on the old line, and you see a lot of similar stuff in the run game. Um, you know, obviously it's been very successful for them over the over the years. So um, I did go back and, and watch some previous tape preparing for this game. You see a lot of carryover. So they've done a good job of what's worked for them in the past. It's not like they've abandoned that. Um, but there's also some new wrinkles and, and good stuff that they're doing, um, run and pass game.
very highly of Kayvon, and over these past couple of weeks, he's played nearly every single snap. Obviously, last week, he did not against the Seahawks. How much of that was because of Buddha's return, and with Buddha now coming back into that safety room, what do you see Kayvon's role becoming? Yeah, I think that's the week-to-week discussion of different roles. Um, I've been pleased with how the secondary's played. I think they've done a good job of different guys have been in and out, and they've played with good continuity together. And that actually kind of trickles down into the linebacker room as well, just the communication throughout the back end. Um, you know, being on the same page with matches, everything like that, you know, new guys in and out. Um, they do a good job week to week preparing for that. And, and the roles are something that's going to be changing week to week. You know, there's whether it's injuries or what the opponent does, that's something that we assess kind of early in the week right now. And then we, we work it throughout the week in practice. So we're kind of working on through that right now. Can Kyler help this week in kind of mirroring Lamar, just having him on the field? Is that could be an important part of the week? Uh, I don't know. I, I, you'd have to run that by JG, but that sounds good to me. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, it's interesting, but uh, um, Kayvon Wallace, and I just double-checked. That's kind of why I was stalling a little bit there. Has since been cut by the Cardinals. And... Um, probably will be addressed to JG when we get to the Wednesday portion of the coverage. But for now, we will, uh, go to Jeff Rogers. On the, the missed field goal, uh, and the hold look on TV like it didn't get the way it needed to be. Do you get involved in that afterwards, or uh, those guys, they just work that out amongst themselves? I mean, there's coach involved. Anything that happens on the field, especially when things don't go the way that you envision them, um, try and talk to you know everybody based on what you see as a coach from the sidelines. Sometimes you can't see everything. Even on tape, sometimes it's hard to see um, that actual action, but uh, obviously, like most kickers don't want to kick the laces, so that's something that, that shows up. And it's, okay, why did that happen? How can the snap be better? How can the hole be better? Could we have overcome that uh, as a kick? The whole operation needs to be better. How do you fix the hole? How do you get a holder to make sure the laces are where the kicker wants them? Yeah, it's just a rep thing. Blake's been really good in practice. Um, you know, he's been good in the past. Um, he's performed pretty well here, but obviously that was – one that we'd like to be better, and uh, it's just a rep thing. You try and give guys as many looks as as, as you can at. Um, there's a lot of people that if they catch it and the laces are perfect, can put it down, right? Like, what can we do? How can we replicate when they're not there? Are they pointed in? Are they pointed out? Are they pointed back? Like, whatever those things are. And um, so we're working through that. It has to be a pretty good, an important technique. Obviously, if the laces aren't when you get it, to know where they are when you get it and be able to do that quick and get it down because it's such a bang-bang operation, right? Yeah, it's really fast. I mean, less than 1-3 uh, from the time the ball snapped until it's kicked uh, on a – I mean, that's kind of the standard league-wide as most guys are in the 1-2-something. Um, it's interesting when you put guys through – we had a um, – 
kind of scouting assistant a couple of weeks ago was, was, hey, you know, let me try the hold. And it's like, oh, wow. You know, that it, it's a challenging job for those who haven't done it. On, on the one at the end of the first half, were you involved in that decision that it would have been, I think, 62 yards or sure. whatever it was? Was the weather conditions a part of it? Were you involved in, in deciding not, not to have Matt try that one? Yeah, I mean, usually when it comes to are we punting, we going for it, are we kicking, I'm going to be involved in that conversation. Um, at that end of the field, like you watched the first kickoff, and it wasn't like their kicker just hammered the ball out of bounds. It started drifting that way, and the wind was coming in from that side, held it up short. Um, that was also the end that Prater kicked off, and the ball hit the goal line. Um, you know, so there was a little bit working against us. Obviously, he's hit from 62 and 62 plus. The yardage isn't the biggest factor there. It's, you know, what is the right decision here? Um, you know, we had kind of come up with a line and, you know, must have in the game, in the half, um, and just felt like the offense in that situation was, was our best plan. Among many that I've asked in my life, but like, in that situation, do you just look up at the flag? Because I saw the flag was blowing. I mean, it was clear the wind was coming into where Matt was kicking. Like, you just look up and say, all right, this is how strong the wind could be. Like In some stadiums, you will look at the flags at various times. Um, the way the whole first half played out had more to do with what we felt like the conditions were um, than the flags. You can feel that stuff, you know, on the field. It was... It was more blown in from that end going towards our tunnel and then shifted back towards their tunnel, but it was always in the kicker's face going in that direction. When you guys, I mean, you look at your schedule, their road schedule the rest of the way, it does look like you have real opportunities for some potentially ugly weather games depending. Obviously, you're not going to know until you get to those. Do you, as a coach, start thinking about those games, or is that come almost strictly like, we got to get there on game day and see what it's like before we start worrying about that. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, some of the things that you do earlier in the season, you have to realize that at some point that stuff is coming. So you're not going to replicate snow in Arizona, you know, in October and November. Um, and it's hard to replicate the weather, but um, can you do things to the ball sometimes during the week that's going to replicate what it may feel like on game day? Um, some of the things that, that you're starting to coach situationally have to do with those things. Um, you know, it's one game at a time. Your mind has to go to, you know, all factors, what if, what if, what if, um, you know, and it, it it creeps up on you quick. We we play in Cleveland in a couple of weeks, and I mean it's November in Cleveland, so I'm I'm not expecting it to be sunny and 80. But um, yeah, I mean I, I'll go back to I don't remember what year it was. Maybe 2013. We had a bye week for the playoffs, and at the end of the regular season there, there was a big snowstorm along the East Coast, and it's snow everywhere. I mean some of those games you're talking about a foot of snow, and we spent the entire bye week, uh, a couple of meetings talking about, okay, we're going to go on this playoff run. Here's how you have to play in snow. Here's the adjustments you have to make as a coverage team or as a return team. Um, so you start thinking about that stuff, but it's nothing that you apply to the, to the players until you actually get there. With the 
Ravens coming up and, and obviously their kicker, do you marvel at what he's been able to accomplish and the consistency over his career? Yeah, the, that may be the first time in six weeks of my, one of you guys have asked me an opponent question. Um, yeah, Justin Tucker's had a great career. Um, I've known about him for a long time. He actually went to my high school. I saw a kicking competition my dad put on um, when he was going into his either junior or senior year. Really, really talented guy. And, um, you know, he's one of the best to ever do it. And, um, you know, he's, He's just really good, and they're really good around him. I mean, the culture that they've created in Baltimore on special teams, head coach obviously has that background. They've got, I think, three guys, maybe more, coaching the kicking game. You see the way that the roster reflects that. I mean, since, since he's been there, you know they're going to be fast, you know they're going to be physical, and you know they're going to know what they're doing on fourth down. And um, They did a good job uh, acquiring Justin. I, I think they had Billy Cundiff, I want to say coming off a Pro Bowl year that year. And uh, Jerry Rosberg was the coach at the time, the coordinator at the time. And as I was told, he went down there the week before and uh, worked him out. And it was a legit competition. He won it, and obviously, um, really good evaluation. And Justin's had a heck of a career. Is there, is there like a fraternity of special teams coaches? I'm curious. You mentioned John. And here's a guy, very rarely does a guy like that, from a special teams background, get an opportunity as a head coach. Do you wonder that? You ever think that it would be a good idea for teams looking for coaches to consider guys like you and others more because of the very job you do and because of the success a guy like him has had? Um, I think he's had a lot of success there. And he was one of the – I don't know that he was the first one. I want to say Dick Vermeil may have been the first one. But there's, there's more head coaches – who have special teams background than what you're thinking. There's not many guys who have gone from, say, my job to becoming a head coach. There's been a couple, uh, but not many. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's been there a long time. They've had a lot of success. So um, he's, he's kind of what most guys strive to do, um, you know, career-wise. When you'd be a head coach, and I don't remember if it was 07 or 08, uh, he became the head coach there. But, you know, that, that's a long time ago. He was at Philly. I think Andy Reid was a coach. He asked him to put him as a position coach. So he yeah, might he did. be considered more for Sure. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He did. I think he coached DBs uh, the year before. But um, I was around when he was when he was still coaching special teams and competing against those groups. And it looks really familiar to what Baltimore's doing now. You said like, you don't want to be a head coach. Does seeing him do what he's doing make you ever? I didn't hear the first part of that. Sorry. You said up throughout your time, you you don't necessarily aspire to be a head coach. I have. From what I know, I mean, do you want to be a head coach? <laughs> yeah, I think at some point, um, if that opportunity comes along, it'd be interesting to entertain. I No, I mean, it, they're high stress, but those are pretty good gigs, and there's only 32 of them, so. Um, We'd listen. It does seem like special teams coaches, because of coach so many different guys and have to adjust so many times because of things that happen with their roster, that it would it would make sense that you know guys would be you know good head coaches. I, I don't disagree with that statement. <laughs>
that was a uh, funky way to to end, but uh, I would also agree. You know that special teams guys would make good head coaches. They have to do a lot of head coach kind of things. A lot of special team guys are associate or assistant head coaches anyway, so they they do learn a lot. And Jeff Rogers, I think, uh, if given the opportunity, he would he would be a pretty solid one. Um, let's go from, uh, Wednesdays, uh, which was yesterday, um, Jonathan Gannon. How much more do you put on Tyler's plate this week after getting the week of practicing? Uh, just keep going about our business and our process, get him out there today and, uh, see where it goes. The quarterback you're going to face this week, does Kyler being out there give you help in the preparation process? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess a little bit. I, I think that uh, we'll get the looks that we need to see uh, throughout the week. And I uh, know it'll be a little bit faster on game day, you know, with eight back there. That's who we're playing. But uh, we'll get the looks we need. Do you always do ones versus twos or ones versus ones? Uh, all, in, all the above. Oh, so you do ones versus ones, mm-hmm. Does the, the move with Kayvon, does that signal an optimism about where Jalen is in his rehab? See how it goes. He's doing well. Um, hopefully we get him out there today and then see how he does. What, what was it about Kayvon with played a lot of snaps? Under, yeah. In fact, all of them for, I think, four or five, whatever it was mm-hmm. after the first game. Mm-hmm. That doesn't play any, and now obviously he's no longer here. What, what mm-hmm. was it? Just, you know, I feel good about the room and who's, you know, playing in there right now. and. The roles of different guys on fourth down plays into that. And um, not so much what Kayvon didn't do, it's what the other guys have been doing. Garrett, he played 22 snaps in the slot. What have you seen as far as that position being more emphasized and you really really athletic, gifted player? Yeah, I think the first thing, that spot to me, is you got to be able to think fast. So that's a highly intelligent position in our um, what we asked that guy to do. And then, you know, his skill set, the skill set of a nickel, um, there's a lot going on. You got to be able to cover, you got to tackle, you got to play zone, you got to blitz a little bit. Um, you're in the box, you're in space. So it's a unique position. It's a starting position to me, um, one of the most, you know, important on the defense. And uh, he, he got himself ready to play, he stepped in there and played well. When you have special teams plays like you've had in the last couple of weeks, creating those fumbles. Mm-hmm. Have, has special teams grown in importance since you've been in the league? I know way back in the day it, it wasn't as important, but I'm assuming since you've been in the league it's always been a crucial part. Of yeah, the those game. fourth down plays are critical to winning and losing games. So um, we're playing a really good unit this week, and we have a really good unit. So I told them there uh, this morning it's good on good, so we got to maximize our opportunities. They're very well coached in that phase. they got good players in that phase, and uh, so do we. And uh, that'll be uh, a good matchup. It's been the biggest jump for Zayvon in the pass rush spot since you kind of started now. Yeah, I think consistency is starting to find his rhythm a little bit with, you know, and I think uh, learning how to rush versus different guys. You know what I mean? Because that's there's there's one part of that where you're working on what you do. And then the next part comes down to how does this guy like to protect, you know? Um, which that's kind of a game within the game every week. So he's doing a good job with it. I think that uh, 
you know, his blend of speed and power and bend gives him a chance to be productive in the pass game and affect the quarterback. With, uh, with Zach, do you feel that he was really ever totally back from, from the ACL and that affect him early? And is this now a chance to kind of take a step back and get really right? No, I thought, he, I thought he went in there and did a pretty good job for us. I mean, he's one of our impact players. You know, he's got the quad now. So um, hopefully we'll get him back pretty soon here. But I thought he, he's played well. When you looked at the film on Paris, was there anything maybe he learned or, or should take away from that game? Uh, this last game, you mean, Paul? I mean, just like all our guys, it's going to come down to consistency of technique and fundamentals to win your one-on-one. -on -one. So that's all of our guys. Josh Dobbs, after the game, said if he starts fast, then the offense is, is hard to stop. What's the formula there? Is there anything in particular? Yeah, I think when Josh does that, he's he's taking ultimate accountability. It's not just on Josh. It's on all of us. So uh, I think we all have to start fast. But that that's a narrative, I think, that you know there's a lot of variables that go into uh, the start of the game uh, on all three phases. So you can try to you know, pinpoint a couple things. Honestly, when you start fast, if you don't start fast, whatever that means, uh, we know what that means. But there's a lot of variables that go in to that. So, um, you know, I, I'm more concerned about are we operating at a, at a high enough level to put ourselves in position to win the game. Um, and that starts when the ball gets kicked off. So we've got to consistently do that at a high level to give ourselves a chance. The end of the game, of course, in the fourth quarter has, has been really difficult on the offense. Is it even possible to put pinpoint one thing, or is it just a combination of a kind lot? Of good question, Howard. It's kind of the same thing as the start of the game. You know, there's a lot of things that go on late in a game that are variables that go into, you know, your success. But I think that uh, our offense, it's, it's, we have to maximize our opportunities when we get them. Um, on mixed downs and on pass downs into the red zone and two minute, all those things come into play. So um, just the uptick of execution, we should you know, do a better job of maximizing our chances. Nick said against Lamar Jackson, he said his alarm to get up earlier for extra preparation. What's most important going against Lamar? Good for him. He, um, he you know, he's obviously, you know, his skill set makes him extremely hard to defend, and he's playing at a really high level right now. Um, but we got to make sure that um, we're on the rules and responsibilities of how we're trying to defend him in the run and pass game to give ourselves a chance. We've seen some other guys go from playing a lot for a significant one week to not as much the next. What goes into that? Just maybe the scheme you're going against, and also on the film, you want to see more improvement from those particular, that particular yeah. person? Yeah, kind of that. I mean, you know, we're looking for consistency and playmaking and doing the right thing as much as you can. Um, so we're not afraid to move some guys around here or there. Um, some of that can be, just like you said, matchup driven a little bit at times. Some other times, you know, um, during the week, a guy might play a little bit better throughout the week and he gets the nod. So um, it's a highly competitive league and we're a highly competitive team and that's just not going on Sunday that's throughout the week too when you do that are you ever worried about a guy's confidence no you just got to I mean yeah sometimes it's a good question Josh I mean you know they know that you know they have to maximize their reps on a daily basis and that's how we evaluate them and that's how we improve them um, so 
you know, some guys, I think that we're psychologically trained as a group, as a team, um, to not let that affect them. They know they got to get up, line up, play. And when there's number, and when their number called is called, uh, you got to produce. Back, back to the Ravens for a minute. How much have you seen the improvement on the offense with some of the pieces they've added around Jackson? Yeah, they got playmakers everywhere, um, but you know he makes it go. I think the O line is very underrated. It's a very good O line, and the backs do a really good job um, breaking tackles, yards after contact, in space, in the pass game. They got some really good receivers and some really good tight ends, so they're a complete unit. All right, moving on uh, to Josh Dobbs. And I wonder if the question is going to be, uh, are you worried about um, not getting the start because of Kyler? Um, he has, up to this point, been a uh, full participant this week, um, which uh, last week was limited. So I wonder if they'll ask that. Doing good, doing good. First shout out to D-backs, World Series. Decided to watch some World Series baseball this week. Be fun. Here we go. Maybe try to sneak. I know first game here is Monday, I think. So maybe try to try to sneak out there, you know, check out a game. But I was trying trying to go to um I think game five was here versus the Phillies. I was trying to get out um last week, but didn't time up with the schedule. So hopefully sneak out there on Monday. level do you have for what you're seeing out of Lamar Jackson? Man, yeah. Um, have a lot of respect for him and his game. You know, especially I think he was in the QB class after me, but we're in college at the same time. Um, and so just to see his progression, being in Pittsburgh, we played against him obviously twice. Um, and so just to see his progression that he's had throughout his NFL career, see the level that he's playing at. I mean, I think they had 300 yards of total offense last week in the first half. Versus the Lions, so he's playing really. He's playing at a high level, man. And so I know personally, I got a lot of respect for him as a player. I know we do as a team. We know type of what type of playmakers coming here to Arizona this week. And so you know the onus on us on offense, right, to keep him off the field as much as possible, um, possess the football, execute on crucial third down, stay on the field. Not only obviously keeping to score points for us, but also keep their playmakers on offense off the field. Why has it been so challenging lately over the past two weeks specifically to score at those points? You know, um, we get down there. We just haven't been finishing in the red zone, whether we drive the ball down there or, you know, we've gotten some obviously opportunistic opportunities with turnovers to be able to score and we aren't able to capitalize on that. Um, and I think, you know, it just comes down to like those little details, those little details in the execution. You know, we look back at the game, at those plays, and you know, there's one play either throughout the drive or, um, you know, one false footwork or one off ball location or just one little detail that ends up either putting us behind the stakes or causing us not to execute and either settling for field goals or not being able to, and not being able to score touchdowns um, when we get down there. So, um, this week, man, we're, we're focused on those details, you know, uncovering all stones, locking on the game plan. Because, you know, we identified like the last two weeks when we've gotten down there, like those opportunities have been the differences in the game. And so this week with another really good opponent coming to town, it's, you know, you have to take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. Drew said yesterday 
yesterday that it's encouraging once you're able to get down there because you know you're able to drive down the field, but it's frustrating when you're not able to turn it into points. Which is it more for you? Do you think it's is it more frustrating for you or more encouraging? Uh, it's 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 a double-edged sword, right? Like to its point, it's not like we can't move the football. We've shown we move the ball against you know the top defenses in the league. Like we've we've really faced the onslaught of defenses thus far throughout the season. Um, but then to to his point as well, it is frustrating because you've done the hard work of you know going down the field, going the sixty yards, being inside the red zone. And then not being able to punch it in and taking advantage of either your hard work or the defense's hard work or the special team's hard work, right? So it's both, man. It's both. It's it's you're not being the beating your head against the wall because you know you can do it, right? Um, but then it's, okay, why aren't we finishing? And so, um, as I said, man, it's those details. It's that focus. And just stay, sustain focus, you know? It's easy to be focused, plays one, two, the first third down of a drive, the second third down of a drive. But when you get in the red zone, man, like the field gets smaller, you know, your mistakes get more accentuated. And so you have to lock in on those. What's your trust level in Trey McBride now that Zach's on IR? Man, I got a lot of trust in Trey. I'm excited to see him step up um, into that position. I know I wish uh, Zach a speedy recovery. Um, but Trey, man, like, as I said, I think I said last week or the week before, it seems like every time you get the ball in his hands, you know, it's a 10-yard it's a, it's a run, it's an explosive pass. You know, we saw the screen. He jumps over the safety who's standing flat-footed in the middle of the field. So he's, he's elusive with the ball in his hand. Um, and so, as I said, I mean, like, we have a lot of those guys on our offense. Um, and so as new guys step into new roles, man, it's being able to put them in successful positions to succeed. That's what Drew will do. And then me, once they're in those success, in those positions, get the ball to them as quickly as possible so they can go make those plays. So I'm excited to see him step into that role and, and make plays for us. Did you know he had the hurdle in him? Yeah, I know he had the hurdle. I didn't know what he was going to do. I thought um, in the first, first roll of the screen, you got to get it completed. So I was worried about that first. And once it got completed, it was, is he going to run over him? Is he going to juke? And then he just jumped. So, I mean, I've never seen him jump like that on the practice field. So now now we now we know we'll have to use that uh, vert he has in the red zone, get up, get some, get, get, get a, give him a nice tall one in the red zone this week. You have to establish the run to help the pass work. Why does why is running so important in this specific offense? When it doesn't, when it's not clicking, why does that affect the pass game? Yeah, you know, um, this offense, the run game sets up a lot of stuff that you do in the pass game, right? Like, you know, if you just watch our offense, um, a lot of stuff that we do is out of similar looks, right? Like we're trying to make everything look the same and that keeps the defenses on their heels. You know, that's no secret. And so when you're able to establish a run, right, then you're able to you allow the defense to load up the box um, and then you're favorable in your opportunities in the pass game, right? Like running the same looks, having them not know if it's run or pass. And then no matter which one it is, you know, they can't be right. You know, if it's a light box, you can run it. If it's a heavy box, you can throw it to your playmakers on the outside. So um, yeah, you know, we obviously we put a lot of that on our O-line to establish the run early in games. And, you know, especially our backs to go out and make plays in the run game because they know, we know, like that helps set up the rest of our game on offense. Kind of a drastic change as far as how defense is approaching you guys or setting up the last three weeks since you guys had kind of that really solid run there for a couple weeks before that? Um, you know, I wouldn't say a, a huge difference. Um, but, yeah, I mean, defenses are adjusting. Like we, we have been getting a little different looks or I would say a little less aggressive defenses. You know, early in the season we were able to capitalize on 
um, pressures and stuff. And so defenses are trying to make us, you know, draw at the field. And so as we talked about earlier in this, if defenses are going to do that, like play some too high, um, force us to go on long drives, then we have to be that much more focused on those details, you know. Um, in the National Football League, um, they're really good too on defense. And so if you want to successfully have sustained drives, um, you got to be focused on the details. That's what it comes down to. So, yeah, defenses have adjusted their uh, thought process as guys have made plays. And so we also need to adjust too to how they're playing us and take advantage of the different looks that we're getting. Putting so much on tape that teams can game plan specifically for you. No, it, it doesn't change. You know, my um, it doesn't change like how I prepare for the games, right? Like I know, obviously, you putting tape out. Teams are learning how you play and, and going to create those game plans. But they're also going to create game plans for their personnel that fit their scheme. And so that's just the nature of football, you know. So um, obviously, you know, the first thing that we all do is watch our own films, see how we can get better week to week, see um, whether it's the holes in the game, in your in your own personal game, or what you're doing really well that you want to continue doing well, um, and see how your game is uh, evolving throughout the season. And then from there, diving into the next game plan of how you're going to attack the team. So um, yeah, I know, I'm, you know it's awesome to be in the position where you're putting a lot of tape out there for teams to um, you know, formulate ways to, to defend you. And, you know, the onus is on me to continue to evolve my game. So no matter what the defense throws at me and, and the team, we're able to quickly evolve and adapt and be in the right play and go out and execute and continue playing at a high level. You have to wonder that if uh, that's what is kind of been – the Achilles heel last two weeks or so for Josh Dobbs is, you know, he hadn't, there wasn't much on him, a tape on him uh, when he started the first couple of games. And then now that, you know, teams have more and more tape that they can grind uh, on Dobbs, they kind of know what his tendencies are. And even though the, Cardinals didn't win a whole heck of a lot of games before the last couple of weeks. Um, because, and I say before the last couple of weeks because the last two weeks are were really rough for for Dobbs and and whether it was mistakes or just luck uh, lackluster offense, um, you have to wonder if it's the opposing teams um, and what they're doing because of the tape. And I think that's kind of what uh, they were getting at with that question. Um, and so his response is perfect. He's got to continue to do what he needs to do to get better and mix it up. Well, to have such a each week it seems you have an explosive run, and it comes in a different variety. Like, is there anything to it, or is it just? taking advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, like just taking advantage of the opportunities, trusting in the game plan. Like we're, we're going to have different ways to utilize my skill set, of a, as I've said, but also the skill set of other guys across the board. So when those opportunities are out there for me to go out and make a play, it's, you know, being ready for that opportunity. Could be in the run game, could be in the pass game, could be on a scramble, could be on a design run. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to create those explosives. And so for me, it's, being ready to take advantage of those opportune looks when they present themselves. All right, last but not least, 
will uh, get Zayvon Collins at his uh, at his locker. It's uh, um, been a lot of Cardinals. Thanks for sticking in this far. Almost an hour and fifteen of Cardinals. Um, we still have ASU, Suns, and um, Coyotes and D-backs still to get through. The blitz of Lamar Jackson. Um, it depends on you know if you have good rush integrity or good blitz integrity. If guys are kind of doing their own thing, that's sometimes where you see breakdowns in film or you know when people aren't rushing as a unit. So that's usually where it is. Pretty risky though. Yeah. When a guy has that oh crap speed, so to speak, is it is it kind of hammer home the the fundamentals of staying home, staying your gap, honoring a boot? Yeah, you know what I mean. You can't you can't leave your gap to the ball declares is what we call it. Yeah, so like you know what I mean. That guy has to be through the gap or you know pretty well inside of it before you decide to jump your gap because if not he'll back straight up. I think uh, Kenneth Walker, who we played last week, was pretty good at that too. He did a decent job at that last week, but um, he's a good guy. You know, you see it more in running backs than you do in quarterbacks, but. Yeah, he's really good at it. JG talked about how the defense played well enough to win last week, but if you guys would take that next step, where would you like to see you guys sort of evolve right now as a defense? Uh, obviously in the pass rush uh, a little more, uh, winning one-on-ones. I think uh, you know we're elevating our game each week, but that's something that we can grow in. Um, I think we got better in the run game. Uh, that's it, you know, just continue to build, continue to do work, you know, always sharpen our tools in the toolbox. But that's just really the big things that stand out for me anyways, you know. To me, I think guys are starting to understand in our room that maybe haven't dropped as much and, you know, and understanding route concepts and stuff like that in the past. So we're understanding that better. Um, but that's it. And just execution, you know, have we, tr- we try to have a, a good rate on how well we execute. Um, but uh, so as long as we keep that up, I think we'd be fine. When you have guys like Buddha back in the lineup, do, do you feel like a direct impact on your job up front when he's back there? Yeah, for sure. You know, you have Buddha back, and you know, guys have to account for him and the way he plays. Obviously, in the run, in the pass, um, Buddha is an unreal player. So yeah, he he helps a lot. He does. It makes stuff easy for us. Is there a big difference in the rushing coverage when he's back there? Maybe there's a few more, uh, you know, a half you know, a second. Maybe a half a second yeah. or more on some plays. Yeah, for sure. You know, maybe they look at Buddha and go to, decide to go the other way with it. But, yeah. I always no doubt that Buddha makes a big difference. Um, that's everything, Cardinals. I appreciate, like I said, you guys sticking it out this far. Um, we've got plenty more to go. Uh, so continue to buckle up and I appreciate it. We'll get into some ASU up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. Unofficially presented by Muya Billings. Kenny Dillingham spoke to the media both uh, yesterday and uh, Tuesday. We'll start with uh, Tuesday first. A team like Washington State, you, you coached against them last year. Obviously, Brian Ward, AJ Cooper were part of that staff last year. Is it an element maybe that's um, I don't know overused as far as a chess game that goes on between both staffs? Yeah, it's a little bit overused. I mean, in reality, 80%, 70% of football is similar. You're going to play types of thirds. How you play thirds and how you adjust may be a little bit different, right? How you play your ends may be a little bit different. So football is football. It's how you call it and how you teach the fundamentals uh, and how hard your kids play is what makes plays good and what makes things good. Do you run it right? 
Do you play hard? Do you play through the whistle? And then obviously, you know, really good schemes should affect five to ten plays a game, and that's timely play calling and timely stuff like that. But the majority of a game is all the other stuff. And on that note, is their defense this year different because Brian Ward is not there? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I would say, you know, some philosophies with how you play certain players. I don't want to get too much into the yeah. details, but uh, change mm -hmm. based off just philosophy of gap sound versus aggressive. So I think everybody has a different philosophy on how they want to be good on defense. Oh yeah, yeah. That was I. You know, I put it up on the on the board in our team meeting. I took photos. I, I'm the last person off the team plane. Fuck the team plane when we're off to make sure that it's clean. I go back on the buses afterwards because that's you know we're in a stage in the program where everything matters. Eventually, I want to do that. Eventually, that's just going to take care of itself. I know the buses are going to be clean. I know people are going to be early. I know the locker room's clean. I know the plane people are going to pick up back to themselves. We're not quite there yet. So guess what I have to be? I have to go behind, I have to wait, and I have to make sure things are getting done. And then I have to coach it and explain it and teach it. You yep. have photos? I have seven photos. You have to bring back those boom buses back from the day when you're in the staff? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um. What what that uh, was about is and initially kind of thought you know I didn't know really even what to say so I didn't say anything the first time, um, didn't know whether it was literal or, or figurative or or metaphorical or whatever, um, but to the his comment on you know why the offense is struggling versus defense. And he said, uh, and I don't remember the quote exactly, but got to make sure the bus is clean. And I don't know, uh, you know, initially kind of think, well, may maybe that's, you know, metaphorical is talking about, you know, make sure that the offense is clean in what they're doing. Um, but the way he phrase it just now it's seems to be literal like w you know their travel offense in one bus and defense in another bus that the um defense is physically keeping their bus their you know the way they're traveling cleaner than the offense i i don't know i'm still kind of Confused by it, yeah. You know, I thought, like again, I thought it was hundred percent metaphorical that that you know, hey, offense is not doing what they're doing, and defense is, and and maybe for him, it is the little things of hey, uh, defense is like not figuratively just keeping you know the the bus clean clean, but uh, are not literally and physically, but figuratively, and so when the offense. Uh, physically keeps a bus or their bus clean, then he can under he trusts them to metaphorically keep. I don't know where he is going, but that's what that is. I just think it's you know I think it's good to see, like it's easy to say these things matter. The reality is ninety percent of people don't actually people say it matters, but you don't actually believe it matters. Like hey. You have to be early if you want to have this, or you need to 
clean the locker room if you want to win, or you need to clean the bus to show details matter, right? But most of the time, in 18 to 22 year olds, stuff like that goes in their head and they're like, what does cleaning have anything to do with winning? This is stupid. That's, that's your initial thought, is what's the correlation? They don't, you don't understand. And when you have a moment in a game like that, in year one, where you can say, look, look, this group was just praised for doing this little item, and they just played probably the best defensive game of football in the last, since I can remember at Arizona State. I can't remember a better defensive performance. Uh, and this side, move the ball. Had the ball for 37 minutes. Like, drove the ball. But every drive, one thing knocked us off course. What's the difference? And you may not think this matters, but this is everything. And so I think when you have those moments in year one to show, right, that there is a correlation, I think you have to capitalize on it because, you know, the zero kids were on the list yesterday. For anything academic, anything for practice, zero people. And I said, if we can do that for five more days, I feel really, really confident about Saturday. Well, there it is. That's your answer. It, that that it, he was using a literal physical thing, uh, keeping bus clean, to more of a metaphorical, you know, the little details kind of conversation. And I'm sorry I cut him off too early, and I think I just did again. But um, sounded like someone else was getting, you know, I was anticipating the question, his answer being done the first time. This time I think someone was a asking a question, so. I wanted to try to catch it right, but um, I've always said that, though. Little things matter. The details matter. Yeah, I mean, I think certain leaders lead different ways. So, I mean, everybody leads, some people lead through example, some people lead vocally, some people lead through emotion. Uh, so I think there's different types of leadership. Uh, I mean, I think just, I think the defense has a few more just natural born, you know, leaders that kind of the alphas. In offense, I think we got a few guys, but uh, it's just not, it's not the same leadership. So we're gonna do some things. We're gonna split up the buses from now on to try to get, mix up some of the leaderships on our team. A little bit just to get a little bit more of that raw emotional leadership that the defense kind of has. We have some leadership with Joey's and Trenton's of really poised, calm, collected leaders. Uh, but I really think we need some emotional leadership and some passionate leadership. And the defense really has you know a plethora of that. So I think just mixing up little things like buses and and to just build the team and share share leadership and share growth. And coach, when you talk about obviously building your program and building off performances, and you said about the defense, I mean, how can that help stack the next block after a performance like that from the defense? Yeah, it was a, a series of really good moments, but you know, like I told them, I just broke it down at the team and I said, listen, we played really great on defense. We played bad on special teams. We played bad on offense, right? And was there a play that anybody on this team could have done better? And if there was, then that play could have won the game. We're one team at the end of the day, right? We practice hard. We actually practice with a defensive mentality. Most offensive people cut things to 15 periods right now. You want to keep your legs as fresh as possible. You don't hit, you don't tackle, you don't do anything that correlates to winning defense in my opinion, right? We're still practicing. 
because that's how you have to play good defense. So I think it's a team. We're in it together. And it doesn't matter if the defense plays great, if the offense plays poor, it comes down to one moment, one play. Either side of the ball, myself, could have done one thing better. I could have prepared us better for the game, for, you know, oh crap moments with injuries and people going down. And that may have been the difference, right? Like today, I was coaching the tight ends and wings. Why didn't I do that last week? Why didn't I take the emphasis to coach that position like I'm doing it now, right? And that's something that I'm learning from and growing from, and I got to be better so those situations don't happen. Yeah, it looked good. Uh, fight's a big dude. You know, we have four defensive guys now working on that unit, which, like I said, I, I've never really had that. I've had, like, maybe one big defensive end be a wing, but I've never had a guy as the internal guy. But that is what it is. We can either say, oh, this has never been done, or we can do something that's going to help us win. And we have to do that. And what I love is those guys didn't complain. I said in a team meeting, I said, I don't know who we're going to use, but we need you. And CJ comes over as a freshman who's playing a lot of minutes, doing a really good job, stands there, and he's in the most thankless position. He's getting run over. Right? It's pretty good to have a freshman have that mindset to be in it for the team. But although it may have not converted into points, you still had your highest rushing total of the season last game against Washington. How do you continue that success, and how does that open up the offense? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just structurally how you want to run an offense. You know, I've never been. That style of play is different for me. Uh, you know, cut splits, quick motions, under center, that's not really been my background. You know, it's something I obviously study because I like to know trends, and that's a really a trendy thing in the NFL right now is this style of play. It's almost like going back to the double wing and the wing T offense where everybody's tight, cut splits, underneath the counter, speed sweeps, tosses opposite, play action waggles, right? So it's kind of, it's funny because football, it all comes full circle. And you went from, you know, wing T, double wing. People said, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Spread, move everything out, right? Throw it around. And now the highest level is moving back to a fancier way to run something that was run 70, 80 years ago. So it's just, you know, it's just kind of funny how football works, but you gotta, it's misdirection. And that's how you create good numbers and leverage in the run game sometimes. You may not always have the best numbers, but you're gonna have leverages and confusion. So it's a lot more built off of creating bad eyes than it's built off of truly winning one-on-ones. So a little bit different of a philosophy. So we're gonna mix in both, because you can't just do that every week. We've never done that. If you've never prepared for that, you should have some success. But now teams saw it on tape. So if we just think we're gonna repeat, right? we're in for a world of hurt if we just think we're gonna copy and paste all that stuff and have success this week. On that aspect of creating the spread offense, I know he said the past rest in peace, but Mike Leach, he spent a large tenure in his career at Washington State. How do you think he's just changed the air raid offense? Oh, I mean, he's a revolutionary. I mean, like he, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, how is running the ball 50% of the time balanced, right? He's handing the ball to one guy. It's four other eligibles. That's the most unbalanced thing you can do. So the <laughs> fact that he was so open to ideas, he wasn't stuck in one way to do things. I mean, there was a time at, at Texas Tech that he lined up with his tackles, lined up out wide, because he didn't feel like he had enough O-linemen to compete. So he moved him out wide and ran his entire offense from basically, some people, whatever you want to call that formation, right, tackles out wide, three O-linemen. So his, uh, he was a revolutionary to the game of football, in my opinion. And RIP, he was a great person, hilarious in interviews. Um, you know, he was just a one-of-a-kind person.
All right, now to move on to yesterday's uh, media availability following uh, practice. Kenny Dillingham. Seems like a good practice today. Yeah, guys got energy. I mean, our guys are guys are getting better every game. You know, sometimes it shows on defense, sometimes it shows on offense growth, sometimes it doesn't show, but uh, we're getting better. They do, but everybody calls games differently. Everybody has a little bit difference in how they want to do things. So yeah, you have a little bit of knowledge, but they know we have the knowledge. So I mean, if both teams have the equal knowledge of each other, is there really an advantage? And to me, the answer is no. It's like I said earlier. You know, I think at media day uh, about playing Oregon in the future. It was, you know, just don't outthink yourself. Let the kids go play. Uh, and it really doesn't matter what you draw up at the end of the day. You guys got to go execute. What have your conversations with Brian Ward been like after that Washington game? Just how bad of a performance that, that was? Do you just like move on or do you have any conversations about just kind of like where you're at and what you accomplished? Yeah, oh, I think unbelievable job. I mean, preparing, having a plan, being aggressive, attacking, not playing scared. Uh, that's one thing we want to do is, you know, not many people, to be honest, can call cover zero in the open field. Some people are scared to do it just as a program, not just the defense, but as a program. And for us to not be scared, to be that aggressive on the minus 30, right, is a testament to Coach Ward and just what we're trying to do here, which is build confidence in guys that we're going to call calls that are aggressive, that put us in the best chance to win on both sides of the ball. And they may work on one side, they may not work on the other side, but just wait till they work on both sides. And in terms of Coach Ward, we want to keep him here for a long time. I'm going to, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that happens. Yeah, when you hired Coach Ward in the first place, what was it about him, like maybe defensive schemes, what was it about him that like made you say, yeah, this is what I want as my defensive coordinator? Yeah, he was, he was one of the hardest defenses I've ever game planned first. You know, so if I'm game planning versus it and I'm up there all night trying to figure out third downs and then I come out on game day and it's the same stuff but a little bit different. And I thought he did a phenomenal job last year versus me personally that I said, you know what, if I don't want to have to play him, I got to hire him. It just so happens to be he's from here. So he has the same passion about this place that I do. He has the same vision of wanting to be here for the rest of his career that I do. You know, if we can both have our druthers, we're going to build something here that lasts forever, and we can be here forever. And speaking of defense, Coach, I mean, obviously, um, BJ and Clayton have just been solid outside. How do you feel if they felt in Prince's growth? Because, I mean, just since week one, it seems like he's grown more and more each week. Confidence. You know, I was a kid who was rated all world coming out of high school, had all the talent, uh, lost his confidence along the way. And uh, even times here, since he's been here, he's lost his confidence along the way. And, you know, we've just poured into him. Coach Regal's poured into him. Coach Ward's poured into him. And we've just built a relationship to give him the confidence that he needs. And now he's going out there. He's playing with a, a swagger, a confidence about himself. And uh, when you take a really good player and you make him confident, that's when guys become dangerous. Coach, this is the second week in a row you're facing a top two passing offense to go through both. How are you, and obviously they have different passing offenses. They're very different. But how do you game plan and how much confidence is your defense playing and how does how good you played last week helped you with that? Yeah, I mean, confidence is important, but you also can't be cocky. There's a balance. We're playing good on defense, and, you know, we haven't been playing good 
scoring on offense. We've been playing good middle of the field offense, but we haven't been playing good get points on the board, which is the goal of offense. So you can't get caught in either. You can't get caught in, oh, you suck, because, you know, kick two field goals, make one catch, make two catches, you know, you have 20-something points. Different game. On defense, right, they don't create, we don't create four turnovers. We probably don't hold them to no touchdowns. So the game is so close that if you get caught in the results, right, and your results driven all the time, then you're gonna miss the point. And that's the growth and how good you can be. So it's really just staying focused on, we had a great game, but could we be better? Yes. Can we be better? Yes. On offense, we struggled. But did we struggle every snap? No. We struggled about 10 to 12 snaps, right? So it's about taking the process and learning and growing from it on both sides of the ball and specials. You just said um, back there that you were really impressed with the third down offense. Uh, just what sort of pro progressions are you seeing with that department? Yeah, we're just getting getting better, getting more comfortable. Uh, you know, we got to challenge these guys on third downs. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We got to try to find a way to create explosives, and we're going to do continue to do everything we can to to do that. Still haven't got it accomplished, so I'm not doing a good job getting that done. But we are looking at every way possible to try to create explosive plays. And that starts on third downs. Have you thought about your in-season development of some of the red shirts when you don't have a bowl game and you have to buy a week, you're probably working on those guys? Yeah, bad news is, you know, you don't get the, like you said, the bowl game development. Good news is we're down so many people, those guys are playing as if they're in the two deep slash starting. So we're not getting the bowl game prep, but we're getting the, I mean, I looked out there today. We had, we're with our one offense. We had two walk-on O-linemen, true freshmen, and another true freshman out there with the ones. Boom, repping, that's growth. I mean, and those are guys that, you know, in not in a million years do you think are gonna be in there. And they're in there with your ones, developing. Right, Caleb Black's in there with the ones, developing. Right, defense side of the ball. Right, we got guys developing. CJ is developing. Right, so we got, it's just all, all phases. I mean, we got eight to 10 freshmen right now that are playing, whether it's special teams or offense, defense, significant minutes and making a significant impact. So even though we lose bowl games, I think we're gaining that back. It's a blessing and a curse being a little banged up. I think that's the blessing of it. So how are you feeling about that class? Because you had a very short. Um, for those don't, that don't know, uh, the bowl games are, are great and all, but the practice time that you have is irreplaceable getting ready for a bowl game because it's a lot of practice time, but you tend to, uh, you know, get a lot of reps in for second, third, fourth string guys, your younger players, your, 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 uh, your, some of your sophomores and freshmen, true freshmen get a lot of reps because of, the style of those practices. Obviously, ASU is um, ineligible for bowl because of the self-imposed bowl ban. So you initially think you lose that. Well, they have a bunch of guys going down every week. So they're kind of forced to go to some of their second, third, and fourth string guys. Um, and as he said, it's a blessing and a curse um for them so it well i you know you'll see the fruits of it probably more so later in the season 
near or near the end of the season and then perhaps next season? Actually, I think we hit on the class. I think for the most part, our hit rate was really good. And I think part of that is, you know, when you have senior evals are dying, everybody gets commitment so early, everybody wants to be ranked high and create momentum in recruiting. So most people have classes built off of, you know, sophomore tape, junior tape, well, they're 16-year-olds, right? And then very few people actually go back and watch the 17 and 18-year-old version of the guys. When we showed up, we got to watch the 17 and 18-year-old version. So that's something we're still doing with our current classes. We're still watching watching our guys, and then we're watching these young guys' senior tape to see if there's a Keith Abney out there, right, that has an unbelievable senior year that we can snag. Did you see the D-back game last night? Uh, I did. We were actually, actually FaceTiming recruits as a staff that we do at nights, and we had the TVs on the side watching the game. I mean, unbelievable. And when you think about where I remember two years ago watching them when I was at, in Tallahassee, Florida, and I'd put on the games, I'd be like, golly. We're horrible, right? That's what it is. We're horrible, right? And it's kind of funny. It's You see the growth, and they, there was never a waiver. They, oh, all these young guys are playing. All this is happening. Oh, we're not having success. There was never a waiver. You listen to even their staff talk and their, their organization talk, and they had a plan and a process that people didn't like. It's not fun, but they stayed true to it. And even this year, there were times where, you know, it was rocky. They stayed true to the process, and I think what Coach said after they won their last two series ago, a connected team is a dangerous team. I mean, that, that quote resonates to me, and that's what, this entire, what our program is about. It's about relationships. It's about the culture. It's about being connected, and as it grows and grows and grows, you see what it can become. So kudos to them. Super happy for them. Uh, you know, my wife danced with Merrill, Kel Merrill Kelly's wife, so I've known them for a long time, and it's super cool to see him you know, having the success he's having, being an ASU alum, and uh, it's just awesome to see. What's the biggest challenge in that, to stay to like stay with the plan, like you said, in any sport, but I mean, you've had to deal with it on both sides, like you said, what's the biggest challenge to stay the course when Con you know it's right? Confidence, right? If you're not confident that what you're doing is the right way to do it, then you're gonna waver. If you're confident that I've seen it work, I know it works, everywhere I've been, it's worked, then you can't waver from the process, even if people don't understand the why sometimes, right? Even if you're gonna have horrible circumstances in your down 8-0 lineman, that doesn't mean you can just throw everything out the door. You can't, you can't rob Peter to pay Paul. You gotta stay the course for what you know is gonna be successful. And it's funny, because you can see, you know, our team as a whole, if you just looked at our team and the growth of our football team, if you just looked at, the end of the game and you compared stat lines every week. If you didn't even look at the wins and losses, you just compared the stat lines every week, you would say, dang, this is a four-win team. But we're not. And that goes back to part of our process is learning how to win. We haven't done it yet. We will, and I have zeroed out my mind we'll learn how to win. I wish it had happened four weeks ago, but it hasn't. Doesn't mean we're gonna change our process, doesn't mean I can waver. I've gotta stay the course, just like our players have to stay the course. And you have to do it with a positive attitude. Like you know it's going to happen, you know it's gonna get there because it will. So confidence in the process. How much are you involved in defensive game plans? Like, you know, obviously philosophically, yes, but more specifically, is there anything that you... Not really, I mean, I would say more involved in spring in terms of what I wanna be, in terms of saying, hey, Bring Snake on the minus 20, bring, bring uh, 
whatever pressure you want to bring on the minus 25 yard line. If you want to play cover zero on first and 10, do it. Because I know that's hard for an offense, so do it. Right, whereas most people, oh, you can only run it if you get inside the 30. Right, it's too scary, can't do it. No, attack, attack, attack. So I would say it's more just the philosophy of the program is attack. Right now, we're having success attacking on defense. We're not on offense, right? But good teams, great teams, can attack on both sides of the ball with that same aggressiveness. And when you become good on both sides of the ball and you have that aggressiveness, imagine if you can see that both sides of the ball, how good you can be. And that's where we want to come up, where we want to be, is we want to be aggressive and not stupid, right, and have that balance. All right, that's everything um, ASU-wise. We will go ahead and uh, get into some uh, coyotes. Uh, Now now we're starting to get into the portion of, you know, uh, events that happened, teams that played. And and so since I want to end on the highest of notes, I'm going to start on the lowest of notes. And unfortunately, coyotes, uh, they lost. So we'll get into that next on uh, Big Sky Sports Talk, unofficially presented by Mooyah Billings. Unfortunately, the winning streak for the Coyotes ended the other night uh, when they lost to the LA Kings 6-3. to Um... Jack McBain got it started off with the Coyotes at the 259 mark with the first goal. And then um, it was uh, three unanswered goals for the Kings in the first period and won a power play at the 813, 1035, and then 1234 mark. Um, in the second period, uh, 617 mark, Nick Bukestead with uh, Lawson Krause on the assist. Um, and it is um, two to three at that point, and then seven thirty nine Kings strike again. Seventeen twenty eight Clayton Keller on a power play uh, with uh, Cooley on the assist. It's three four, um, and then unfortunately in the third, two more goals for the Kings at five uh, thirty five and nineteen twenty three. Um, that last one. A empty netter, uh, 6-3 win for the Kings. Um, Coyotes, 27 shots on goal and 13 block shots. Uh, 35 face-offs won at a 47.3%. Uh, the Kings, 28 shots on, shots on goal with 10 block shots. Um... 39 faceoffs won at 52.7%. Uh, both teams had four p- power play opportunities and converted on just the one. Uh, Coyotes had uh, five penalties for 18 minutes. Uh, Kings had four for eight minutes. Coyotes with um, two takeaways and 10 giveaways, and the Kings at uh, seven takeaways and two giveaways uh here is how everything went down courtesy of uh nhl youtube page
rimmed around and uh, controlled by the rookie Cooley. Four assists to lead all NHL rookies to the ex-King Dursey. Gained the Kings line, got rubbed out by Gavrikov. Puck uh, still deep in the King zone. McBain threw it behind the net where it's centered, and they score! McBain on the rebound of a Boyd shot. A goal, 259 in, 1-0 Coyotes. Sliding in behind. That gap is right there. Matt Roy was facing the shooter. It's a great example. We saw it recently where the rebound is very difficult to anticipate. So here's the shot. Look at Matt. He's trying to block it. Now, where's the rebound going? I'm sure Phoenix is going to say, maybe I could have done a better job right there holding on. Matt Dumba, side of the net. A chance by Dumba. Hit the outside of the post. Now in front. And a chance for Boyd is stopped by Copley. So Kempe to the circle, holding. Feeds it up top. Doughty pressured. Got it to Fiala. Fiala shoots. Block. Rebound chance. Kopitar save. Doughty for Kempe to Doughty. A shot. Block. Loose puck. Fiala shoots it over the net. Good look on a play. The Coyotes thought they had control of. Fiala again. Cross it comes. And they score. The captain, Andre Kopitar. And the game is tied at one. Practicing one-timers way more than he ever has before. Now this one here, he has to go down to his knee. And we were talking, if Kopi ever becomes dangerous with a one-timer, then that just adds another weapon to the arsenal. And you can see how he just gets along. Fiala will pick up assist number eight on the season. Kopitar gets it with torque on his stick. Doesn't waste any motion. Goaltender has to spread and open up. That's a good thing for the Kings. Get that way. Maybe you watched Ovechkin earlier tonight. Ovechkin had 10 shots through two periods. Here's Lazat moving in. Shot score! Trevor Lewis has Lazat's backhander. Was blocked, but Lewis bangs home the loose puck. Starts way behind the net. Look at the regroup. Speed all the way across the ice. That's a theme we've seen so far. Then the entry because of that speed. Now it's kind of a broken play because Grunstrom drives to the net. But without 91's drive there, look at two defenders go to Grunstrom. Loose change for Trevor Lewis. Driving down low, over skates the puck. Tied up by Dumba. Deneau is in. Deneau will leave it right circle. Moore swings it to the net. Looking to get it to Anderson. And now Deneau centers. Score! Trevor To recover a loose puck. Yeah, what that, yeah, what that does, Jim, it just, it just confuses the defense. They've got one more body that they have to track in the defensive end. There he is right there. He's going down. And now, okay, now it changes coverages. Look at Deneau. When he gets it here, he has so much time. Anderson will get the secondary assist. You just love to see that. Wow, what a pass. What a pass. Yeah, they were moving up and down the ice in units of five, and when they play connected like that, the Kings are a real solid hockey club. Trevor Hansen, Jordan Samuels, Thomas are the referees tonight. This is their first time back to a Kings game since COVID as well, and they're having a blast. You guys having fun? Yeah, you heard it, guys. Bounce <laughs> a chance save. Score on the rebound. Bukestad. And the Coyotes have made it a one-goal game. Nick Bukestad. And then how quickly the Coyotes are able to, to re-attack on the play. It, it seems like it's a broken play, and it is. But here's here's what Todd has been talking about. 
It's coverages after the drop of the puck. And lane for Kroos and lane for Bukestad. Bukestad's going to win that battle. Gavrikov broken up, but again, Roy with it for L.A., and Roy will get it down. The Kings have not been as direct here in period number two. We saw those attacks they had the Kings did in period number one. Turnover, Dowdy feeds the middle, shot, score! Blake Lazard! Bottom line factor. Icing waved off. Grunstrom makes it happen. And then you're going to see what's happening here. Watch the Coyotes. Right there, that's just a weak pass. Dermott goes in behind. And all of a sudden, look at it, look at Grunstrom again, even though he's not involved in the goal, so to speak. Up top for Jersey. They want Schmaltz. There Jersey he is. to Schmaltz to Keller. Keller top of the right circle. Base of the circle to the net. Keller across Cooley. Fires it to the right. And a goal on a one-timer. Great puck movement down low. And Clayton Keller has made it a one-goal game. This is actually one of those where you see Schmaltz, I mentioned they want him. They get him down low. He's right there. He doesn't make the expected pass. And man, that is just finding the open man, changing the port of attack. Daryl, you talked about that pregame where they just keep changing. They've got to make sure they keep their foot on the gas, play in the other zone, and be stingy defensively. Yeah, holding leads was one of the themes when we talked to players before the season started. They wanted to improve this year. They have another opportunity here to make sure no second chance. Kings win the draw. Spence to Gavrikov to the circle, a shot. And a loose puck score! Kevin Fiala, the original shot, snuck behind the goaltender, and it was pounced on by Fiala, his first of the year. Well, Kevin told us he was going to shoot more, right? <laughs> He'll take that one. Off a of face-off, so now the Kings get one back. You see how he had to work to get it. There it is. Now, Bay Malcolm's going to say, you know what? I saw it all the way. There's no screen. There's no change of direction. He's got to hold on. He thinks he has it. Fiala has it. But at least the Kings get one back on a face-off. Great job there by Fiala. High and wide on the short side. Jersey up high again. For Keller right side. Up high in the middle, Smoltz to Keller a shot, save is made, rebound loose, Hayton tried to make a play, couldn't, Lewis couldn't clear, Jersey shoots, tip, and a score, Hayton right as the penalty was expiring, 5-4 LA, right there, and that's where it's picked off, and we, we saw that from Sean Jersey last year, right, didn't we? He, he does a great job on those north-south passes where he just gets it now there's a challenge here on offside wow challenge by the kings offside after review of the coach's challenge the play was determined to be offside no roll so todd's uh, percentage is increasing 50 percent now on the challenges foot race byfield pressuring jersey who hands it off to Keller. Keller through center. A feed on right wing. Broken up by the Kings. Picked up Kempe. Shot at the empty net. Moves in and scores.
his plate tonight on those grinding, gritty, non-scoring situations was excellent. And the Kings are going to wrap it up here at Crypto.com Arena. Boyd moving in, can't get around the defender with the puck. And the Kings have their first home win of the young season. Yeah, even though the Coyotes uh, lost that that uh, empty netter, you know, th- those can happen because you have no one back. You have everybody on offense trying to catch up, and um, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but, you you know, in this case they didn't. Um, and you, uh, you know, as I'm watching it, as uh, hopefully as you're listening, it translates well that, you know, there's some major fight in this Coyotes team, and uh, they will get a chance uh, tomorrow to um, get get the revenge against that very same um, L.A. Kings team, but uh, this time at home at the Mullet. So uh, that will be uh, that will be tomorrow. Um, let's see. Do 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 do. Uh, trying to think if I have anything else. Um, I do not. So we'll go ahead and uh, get into some uh, some Suns, and uh, they they won along with the the Diamondbacks, and that will be up next on Big Sky Sports Talk, unofficially presented by Muir Billings. The Phoenix Suns' first game of the season ends in a win, 108-104, to against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Devin Booker uh, played really solid, and no Bradley Beal. 32 points for Book, 13-21 from the field, 3-3 from the line. Stephen Curry, 27 points, 8-20 of uh, 20 from the field and seven to seven at the line. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, fourteen points or no, fourteen rebounds. Excuse me, eleven uh, defensive, five uh, three offensive. Uh, Kavon Looney, eleven rebounds, six defensive, and nine or excuse me, five offensive. I don't know why I'm having a hard time uh, reading. Devin Booker, eight assists, six turnovers, thirty-seven minutes. Chris Paul, nine assists. One turnover in 34 minutes. Chris Paul still doing his thing um, with having, you know, fewer than two turnovers and uh, almost uh, double-digit assists uh, off, the, off the bench. The worst quarter word for the Suns was uh, the third. They gave up 40 points and only scored 19. Um but uh, they would come back and 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 win it. Uh, Suns starters Kevin Durant, uh, thirty-seven minutes, seven of twenty-two from the field, one of two from deep, eleven rebounds, three assists, eighteen points. Uh, Joshua Kogi, thirty-two minutes, seven of nine from the field, one of one from deep, five rebounds, one assist, seventeen points. 
Yusef Nurkic, uh, 28 minutes, 5 of 8 from the field, 1 of 2 from deep, 14 rebounds, uh, 3 assists, 14 points. Grayson Allen, um, 21 minutes, 0 of 6 from the field, 0 of 5 from deep, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 0 points. Devin Booker, 37 minutes, 13 of 21 from the field, 3 of 8 from deep, 6 rebounds, uh, 8 assists, and 32 points. Drew Eubanks, 19 minutes, 1 of 3 from the field, 7 assists, uh, or 7 rebounds, 2, assi- two assists, 4 points. Uh, Watanabe, uh, 18 uh, minutes, 3 of 5 from the field, 2 of 4 uh, from deep, 4 rebounds, and 8 points. Uh, Nasir Little, three minutes, one to one from the field, and it was a three pointer. Um, three re- or three rebounds, one rebound, and three points. Eric Gordon, thirty-two minutes, four of sixteen from the field, two of nine from deep, four rebounds, one assist, ten points, and Goodwin, fourteen minutes, uh, one of four from the field, oh one from deep, four rebounds, three assists, two points. Um. I I really liked what I saw when um Watanabe and uh Drew Eubanks were out there together. I mean, they were um deflecting shots, blocking shots, uh you know, getting in passing lanes, um just a problem defensively, at least from what I saw. And it might have not have been great numbers, you know, on block shots or, you know, deflections or anything like that. But they seem to be in and around the uh, every defensive play when they were both out there. And I really like them both out there. And I, I hope uh, Frank Vogel does that more. Um, Kavon Looney, 28 minutes, 3 of 6 from the field, 11 rebounds, uh, 7 points. Wiggins, 27 minutes, 4 of 12 from the field, 0 of 3 from deep, 1 rebound, um, 10 points. Chris uh, Chris Paul, 34 minutes, 4 of 15 from the field, 0 of 6 from deep, 6 rebounds, 9 assists, 14 points. Steph Curry, uh, 31 minutes, 8 of 20 uh, from the field, 4 of 14 from uh, deep, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, 27 points. Uh, Clay Thompson, 36 minutes, 6 of 18 from the field, 3 of 11 from the uh, deep, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, 15 points. Dario Saric, uh, 20 minutes, uh, 7 points. Um, Kaminga, 20 minutes, 12 points. Joseph, he played 4 minutes, only had a rebound and assist. Gary Payton, the second, 22 minutes, uh, 1 point. With uh, two rebounds, two assists, um, and Moody, 18 minutes for 11 points. Suns were 42 of 95 from the field, 44.2%, 11 of 33 from deep, 33.3%, and at the line, 13 of 17, 76.5%. Uh, Warriors were 36 of 101. 35.6%, uh, 10 of 43, 23.3% from deep, and 22 of 28 at the line, 78.6%. Suns uh, out-rebounded 
the Warriors 60 to 49 with 17 offensive boards, 43 different defensive boards. Um, Warriors had 18 and 31. Suns had more assists, 23 to 19. Uh, Warriors did have more uh, steals, 11 to 5. Suns had more blocks, 7 to 6. Um, Warriors had fewer turnovers, 11 and uh, um, to 19. They gave up 9 points. Suns gave up uh, 22. Fast break points go the uh, Suns' way, 13 to 11. Points in the paint, 48 to 44. Suns' way. And uh, uh, more fouls for the Warriors, 23 to 22. Uh, large lead of the game was 15 for the Suns, and large lead of the game for the Warriors was 8. Um, they will uh, play the Lakers uh, today, as a matter of fact, um, tonight uh, on uh, TNT. So. I will be watching uh, that one. Suns 1-0, Lakers uh, 0-1. Hopefully it's going to be Suns 2-0 and Lakers 0-2. That is the hope and um, probably more likely what's going to happen. I mean, when I was watching, and I know they gave up the 15-point lead. That third quarter was real bad. That That's, you know, but they overcame it. So, but... There wasn't a whole a uh, whole lot of time watching it where I'm like, man, this Warriors team is way better than the Suns. It was not the case at all. It was actually the opposite. Suns is Suns better than Warriors. They didn't have Draymond, but he he contributes pretty well uh, sometimes defensively and rebounds, but um, not super prol- prolific in scoring. Uh, Suns they didn't have. Uh, Bradley Beal. So to look that good without um, Bradley Beal is is pretty good against a still a very very tough Warriors team, no doubt about it. Um, but I just I felt like the Suns were the better team, and uh, you know wasn't worried about the Warriors at all. Uh, here is Frank Vogel, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and uh, Yeto Watanabe. Um, spoke to the media after the game, starting with uh, Frank Vogel. Coach, uh, obviously, um, you know, the turnovers are one thing, but then to see Devin at the end uh, make three plays, three assists, uh, and close it out that way when we know him as a scorer, what did that mean to see him deliver like that at the end? It's a good start to, to a new phase of his career. You know where he's going to be the primary ball handler. You know I think he's he's really embraced um, taking the leadership role on this team. You know playing more traditional point point uh, point guard where he can. You know he's a, he's a threat to to go into kill mode at any point, and um, you know he has the the savvy to read defenses and and pick them apart with the pass, which was uh, the beauty of this game. You know there's a a lot of positives from this game, but that was probably the biggest one. Here is the defensively um, Kevin alluded to. Get to the rest of your question here in a second, um, Dwayne Rankin. But obviously, as you know, uh, as a fan, someone that's been following the Suns for a while, um, seen plenty of Devin Booker in that point guard role. Um, and there's no doubt about it that he learned quite a bit 
from um, Chris Paul in, in his three years there. And uh, during that game, you really, really saw that from uh, Devin Booker. And clearly, Frank Vogel says, hey, that that's another thing he can add. And, um, and you know, he said the best part of the game, really. So high praise, high praise, and, and look for Devin Booker to get better and better. At the end there, really holding him down at the end of the game, what did you see defensively, not just the last couple of minutes, but the entire game? Yeah, the effort. You know, for four four quarters was great. You know, they got away from us a little bit in the in the third quarter with uh, you know, we kept putting them through the free throw line, and for the most of the game, we had really good fouling discipline. Um, you know, absorbing contact, showing our hands, earning no calls, and we have to earn those. Um, but we didn't in that third. But you know, second and fourth quarter, 18 points um, for this you know, going against this team in this building, that's exceptional on the defensive end. You know, first especially for game one of these guys, you know, learning each other and, uh, and learning a new system. The only other thing I had is to follow up with Durant obviously didn't shoot it the way he would he would like. He talked about other guys, you know, having his back and stepping up. And Josh Okogie, uh, not only did he hit the huge three, but he went seven for nine, was active. Maybe just speak to Josh's performance tonight. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of his game, as I've I've said many times. And, um, you know, he played as well, well as anybody on the floor tonight. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's guarding Steph Curry basically every minute that he's out there and chasing him around, uh, using a lot of energy there. And, you know, still um, finds his way with his cuts, crashes, and drives, um, you know, to, to impact the game offensively, you know, which is not always the case when, you know, when, when you got to chase a guy like Steph. And to do all that, you know, he, by the way, he had more than four offensive rebounds. He had about eight offensive rebounds. Yeah, and some of them, you know, they encounter whatever, but... He was a demon on the glass. Um, and then obviously the, the big three, you know, he really works on his craft and uh, he's an improved shooter and he's going to knock down big threes for us all year. It was uh, interesting coming off the high of watching the Diamondbacks, you know, advance to the World Series and then flipping over to the Suns game and watching it. I thought about watching it in its entirety. I did not. I, I mean, I, I caught it, missed, you know, the first half. Um, and, you know, caught and watched pretty much all of the second half. And it, you know, Josh Kogi was all over the place. I mean, he was cutting to the basket. He was running the floor. He was grabbing offensive boards, defensive boards, um, you know, uh, putting, uh, putting back, uh, dunks, um, you know, on the follow, just all over the place. Doing what Josh Gogi does, and and I'm I'm so glad he's still on this team, and he's you know well worth it. earned earns his money. Um, love his tenacity, his energy, and he's a fantastic player to watch. Frank, I was going to ask you about that that three last year during the playoffs. Josh really struggled to hit that shot. Um, was that something that you, that you noticed before you came over to scouting him from last year? And just how much has he worked on that just leading up to this point? He works on it a ton. He's got a good-looking shot. You know, um, he actually shot a higher, higher percentage last, last season than he had earlier in his career. So um, it's coming around for him. And, um, you know, I think on this team, he's going to get a lot more open looks. And, uh, you know, obviously going to knock that down. You know, I, 
if a guy doesn't have a, a good looking stroke and he doesn't work on it, then I'm not going to green light him and give him the confidence to shoot that as much as I will give Josh the green light to shoot that and encouragement, you know, because I believe in his shot. Coach, it's unique challenge uh, for centers going up uh, against this team. Uh, how did you think uh, Nurkic and Drew Eubanks did defensively tonight? Outstanding. You know, it's, it's, it is a it is a it's a nightmare, honestly. You know, when you got you're asking your bigs to be up when when Steph or Clay comes off any screens. Um, you know, the only thing I would say is we didn't protect him on the backside enough. You know, when he was up and they made the pocket pass, we didn't make enough plays from our low man. But, you know, those guys did their jobs at a high level. You know, with the talk. Very quick uh, with uh, Frank Vogel. Um, here it is uh, the rest of Dwayne Rankin's question, but it, it goes to Devin Booker. Oh, and still like yeah. going for it. I'm not really too much worried about it. And, you know, I, I feel complete when I'm back on the court. So. You know, it's been a long summer. I started losing confidence in myself, and I need to get back out on the court. I feel better out there. Last thing I had was, you know, in the role you're in now, there's going to be turnovers. Like, it's just obvious because you're going to have the ball more than you've had it before. But how are you able to, tonight, just overcome that mentally and still be in attack mode and still looking to make plays? Um, just understanding that, you know, I was tired as hell. It's the first game, and... You know, I have been out for over a week now with the toe, so this is my first time getting back on the court, going up and down. So that first wind was tough, but, you know, that, that'll build through, through through the season, and, you know, we'll figure out spacing, and, you know, I won't be turning the ball over six times a game. Just to piggyback a little bit off that, how when the, when the game's on the line like that, how do you determine when to be aggressive and look for your shot? And, and dish like you didn't? Uh, I think they're just reads. Um, you know, honestly, I was being aggressive. Um, those last two passes to Nurk and J.O. were supposed to be shots worse. Uh, I rose up and then the defender came and, you know, I made the play after that. Um, but like I said, credit those guys for being in the right spot. Um, they understand the spacing. You know, Nurk knew he could catch it and drive and get an easy layup. And J.O., you know, was amazing tonight. Not just that three, just all over the all over the offensive boards, getting us extra possessions and extra looks that we needed. And what you you've been doing this for a while, obviously. Before the game, did, going into this season, did it feel any different? I mean, was there excitement? Was there nervousness? Um, how did you feel? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the same routine every year. You know, that first one, no matter what you say or how many years you have under your belt, like you know, you you get anxious and. and that usually changes after a quarter or two. We brought the team together after the first quarter and it was like, you know, that was the first win. You know, now we're on to the season. And so it's a whole new group. So everybody's getting to know each other, getting personality. And, you know, I think communication is, you know, what's next for us, that we need the stress. Just talk to each other, even when teams go on run, just stick together and, you know, weather the storm. Kevin, uh, the Warriors usually have a strong third quarter, which they did tonight, but you guys really shut them down in the fourth quarter. How are you, how are you guys able to, to do that defensively? Um, you know, it's tough. Obviously, Steph went out with five fouls. That, that helped a bit. He had a lot of momentum for their team. But, you know, just sticking to the principles, you know, sticking to the game plan. Like I said, communication trumps everything. And, 
you know, in that third quarter, I think, you know, we went mute, we went quiet, and, you know, playing against a team like that with the experience that they have, you know, you have to talk through every play, one through five, and, you know, that that's my job as, as a leader and everybody throughout the team that just keep communicating with each other. Uh, Devin, kind of bouncing off the, the playmaking specifically down the stretch, in previous years you played with a guy now on the other team that might have had the ball in his hands in those situations. How do you feel like playing with Chris Paul has prepared you for the role you have now and maybe for, the, for those last three possessions once you guys were able to put him away? Uh, so many ways, um, not just one, but obviously he, you know, is one of the best players, if not at manipulating the game and, and situations and reading the game and knowing what's going to happen before each possession. So, you know, he just, he's viewed the game for a very long time in a different spot. And, you know, he's somebody that could be a sponge to for a very long time. And still to the day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him anything because, you know, I've been in the league for a long time now. Not a lot of people care about it as much as he did, as much as he does. So, you know, I love being around those type of people where, you know, the focus is there. The commitments there, and was he year nineteen still doing it? So, you know, very impressive. Hi, Devin. One quick question: Are we expected to see more you in headband this season? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I just take it day by day. It looks good on you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't know how to even follow that. Yeah, I don't want to hear from you no more. You know what? You're probably right. <laughs> You're probably right. I was gonna make a comment about that, but no, I was gonna ask. You mentioned communication in the fourth quarter. Is that what turned it defensively that you guys started communicating? I think so. The end of the third, the start of the fourth. Um, you know, we we don't know each other. This is, you know, we had a training camp, a few preseason games, and, you know, we really haven't been tested and put in situations. And that's the beauty of a long NBA season. You know, you get to use these games to prepare and, you know, get ready for what it counts. And even though we're in game one, man, this, like, this just starts now. Um, and, you know, it's going to be an exciting season. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. All right, Kevin Durant. Kevin, um, obviously, uh, before the game, they showed the tribute video, and I just was curious, what was your reaction to seeing, to seeing that and seeing how they put that together, and, and what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of good moments in the video. He was able to relive uh, some of those memories real quick. Um, but it was good to come in here and get the season started off right with a W. Mm -hmm. Curious, just looking at Devin, you, you told me before the game, like, we're going to need him to, to, to be that guy. What was it like seeing him tonight? Yeah, it was, it was incredible. He started off just flaming hot, uh, 15 points in the first quarter, and just got us going. He just kept us there the whole night, you know. We're going to need that from him all season. Uh, running the offense, making the great plays late, making those three assists late, you know, we're going to need that going forward. So. It's a good first win, and, you know, I didn't shoot the ball particularly well. EG got some great shots. He didn't shoot as well as he wanted to, but our defense held us down, and we was able to get the, get the win. You had guys that hit huge shots at Kogi, uh, Gordon. Um, how big will that be moving forward for those guys that hit shots like that? Yeah, it's going to be huge. I like the trust that we had in them and making that pass, making those reads, and those guys knocked it down, you know. We talk about it every day. It's just being ready and being prepared when that ball comes to you to make a make a play. And those guys came out there and made big shots. E.G., after missing some open ones, some layups, some shots that he normally makes, he came down and hit that huge three right there. So, And then Nurk with the finish as well. It was a, it was a, it was a great game. I think defensively, we, we was uh, 
we was able to get stops. It was 100 to 99, and we, and we didn't let them get the lead again. So um, our defense was on point. Kevin, a lot of new parts, uh, obviously, with your team just for the first game out, first game of the regular season. How do you think just the chemistry was um, offensively for you guys? It was it was solid. It was solid. I mean, we was able to get good shots all night. Um, you know, we uh, we went up pretty big there at the end of the second quarter and was able to get some momentum going into half. They took it back. We got down 8 to 10, and we still weathered the storm. You know, so that shows that we're starting to, you know, get comfortable with one another and understand what our roles are. Hey, Kevin. Uh, not sure if you uh, were asked about the, the crowd or the response that you got going into the uh, going into this game, but how did it feel? I mean, you, it's been five years since you played in the area with fans. Uh, how have you, uh, how are you feeling in that moment and how have you feel like your relationship with this fan base has evolved since you've, uh, you've, you've left? Yeah. Um... It's always good to be uh, recognized for, you know, the work you put in. So it was exciting to see people that I haven't seen in a while, um, some familiar faces. And uh, and I feel like the fan base here got nothing but love and respect for, for me as an individual player and as a, and as a person. Uh, and, you know, that's all I can ask for. Hi, Kevin. It's not one of your nights, but how do you think of um, the Warriors' defense on you? And how does it feel to play against your old teammates? No, it was great defense. I think they did a good job with just showing bodies, being physical. Um, and that's what, that's what they do. That's what they hang their hat on is the defensive side of the ball. And we was able to, but we still was able to weather the storm and get a W. So uh, just keep building from here. KD, is it, is it hard? to control emotions when you have a, a night like this. You know what's coming up on the schedule. You're going to open here, national television, packed house, your return. How do you how do you channel that energy? I just try to focus on my job, doing it the best of my abilities. Um, just staying focused and locked in with my teammates. Is, you know, it's a play so long. You know, it's a lot of friends and you know, well, family that you see when you go to these games, people that you play with, work with all this time. So um, sometimes that can come rushing back. But my teammates had my back all night. Coaching staff had my back all night. And uh, we was able to come in here and get a nice win on the road. Yeah, I had one more. Uh, you know, it was interesting just watching you tonight and, you know, getting shots you normally hit. I mean, I'm watching two or three. I'm like, that usually goes in. Um, but just to see how you said the guys having your back, how much did that mean for you tonight to know that they see you not shooting well, but still doing their part to help the win? Yeah, that's just the name of the game for us. You know, regardless of the shots go in, we still got to play extremely hard. And I think we made game, made winning plays all night on the defense side of the ball. Um, you know, shots going to go in. That's just, you know, it's a make or miss league. You know, we can't. Our defense got to be there every night. Our attention to detail got to be there every night, regardless of how our shots fall. So uh, I think we did a good job of just picking one another up and making the right plays and finishing the game off. Thank you, sir. Yeah. You obviously you played well, got some open looks. What was it? What was it like out there tonight and playing with? Kevin and Devin and, and knowing that the, the shots are going to be there and then they'll be able to hit shots. Yeah, I mean, 
Uh, that was a great win, first of all, um, and that was uh, that was really fun. You know, uh, this is the team um, that really had to be, especially uh, they are one of the uh, best home court team. So I mean, they made uh, they made some runs in the third quarter, but um, we we stick together, um, stick to game plan, and we executed down the stretch. So uh, that felt really good, and uh, I'm glad that you know I was I was able to help my team. What do you feel like was the difference at the at the end of the game? Difference at the end of the game? What do you mean? Just what do you feel like determined the outcome of the game at the end? I mean, I can say Devin Booker. Yeah. But I'll. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, like I said, uh, I think um, uh, we stuck our uh, stick with uh, our game plan. Um, and yeah, it's just like uh, down the stage. Uh, Book made a uh, great play, passing to uh, Nark, uh, easy layup, uh, EG, um, JO hit the uh, big shots, and um, and we we are hustling like throughout the game, like we got a lot of offensive rebound, I believe. Uh, you know that's like a little stuff that really helped uh, uh, to get the dub. So uh, we just gotta keep doing it.多分、チームでやれてるっていうのと、ま、自分もベンチから出て、ま、今日は、ま、9大点というか、ま、あの、自分の仕事をしっかりできたかなっていうふうに思うんで、あの、良かったんじゃないかなと思ってます。あ、ユタ
まあ、3, 3クォーターか4クォーター途中で、えー、とこっちが相手がボーナスだった時に、えー、とカリに対して簡単なファールをしてフリースローを与えたのは、まあ、すごくダメなプレーだったかなと思いますけど、まあ、それ以外は今日はディフェンスに関しては、えーとまあ、よく守れてたんじゃないかなと思います。相手,の相手もボーナスでしたし、やっぱああいう簡単なフリースローで、まあ、特にあの彼みたいな選手は、フリースローは基本的に外さないんで、ああいう形でこう点を取られると、まあ、自分たちの流れもやっぱ悪くなりますし、まあ、相手がああいうフリースローから、まあ、3クォーターでえっと15本ぐらいなんかフリースローを打ったみたいなんですけど、まあ、それからやっぱり、その15本が確実にやっぱ3クォーターの,あの得点に。つながっていると思うんで、やっぱああいう簡単なフリースローを与えるっていうのは、やっぱ反省点かなと思います。お疲れ様でした。えっと、第三クォーター、あの七点のビハインドで入られて。で、あのブロックから、その後、スリーポイントっていう流れが、かなり逆転の流れっていうのを作ったと思うんですが、そのあたり振り返っていかがでしょうか。やっぱ自分がコートに出てる時の、その一番重要な役割は、もうとにかく、あのエナジー全開でプレーして。で、ああいうオープンショット。あの決めるっていうことが自分のこのチームでの役割だと思ってるんで、まあ、あれは本当にすごくいいプレーだったと思いますし、まあ、実際、これからの試合も、まあ、自分がおそらくシュートを打つ回数はもう今日ぐらいの56本ぐらいになってくるのかなというふうに思うんですけどやっぱその中でまあしっかり要所要所で確実にあの決めていくっていうことをやっぱこのチームでは求められてるんで、まあ、あの試合はもう完全にあ,のあのシュートは完全にオープンでしたしやっぱりああいうシュートを決めれなければやっぱ自分は試合に出れないと思ってるんで、まあ、優勝とはやっぱ確実に今後も決めていかなきゃなというふうに思ってます。お疲れ様です。よろしくお願いします。今年夏にまあ日本代表であのプレーされて、NBA とは違う役割であったりプレースタイルを求められたと思うんですけど、その経験っていうのはあの NBA に持ったときにまあどのように生きてくるっていうふうに考えていらっしゃいますか。まあ、やっぱこの夏で得た自信だったり経験というのは今間違いなくこう自分にプラスになっているなとうう思っていてやっぱり今コート上でこういい意味ですごく余裕を持ってプレーできていますしまあそれはもちろん NBA6 年目というのもあるとは思いますけどやっぱこの夏、まあ、自分が中心となってああいう世界の強国を相手にこうやってまあ勝てた試合もあったとっいうのがまあ何よりも自分の,その成長を手助けしてくれたんじゃないかなとうう思っているので。まあ、この夏、自分がこう得れたものっていうのは本当に大きかったなっていうふうに思ってます。I was just wondering, since you've been a teammate of Devin Booker, what, what have you learned about him since you've been in Phoenix?、Uh, obviously, great teammate,、um, great guy, and he's a, he's a great playmaker.、Um, You know, at the end, he made a great pass to uh, uh, Nark. That's one thing. And、uh, I mean, not just that play, but I mean, throughout the game, he's been making like, a lot of great passes. Obviously, he's a great scorer, but、uh, he's not just a、uh, scorer, he's a great playmaker. So that's,、uh, that's the thing、um, I really didn't know about him. So、uh, he's, been, he's been giving me、uh, great passes and practices and games. So、uh, I mean, he's just a great teammate to have. Thank you guys. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up、uh, when it comes to book. And obviously, you know, in, unless that, there's a, according to analytics, I do have a lot of people that、uh, listen to this show. 
Um, I still think it might be, you know, your location services giving out false pings. Um, but maybe, maybe I do have people, but, um, not many of us understand anything that, uh, (laughs) that he said at the end there, but, uh, if you're one of those that are listening in other countries and do understand it, well, kudos to you. And, um, I wish I could, but so I can have something to say about it, but I, I do not. And with that being said, uh, that is everything sons. Now let's get into the bulk of it. And that's uh diamondbacks up next on big sky sports talk unofficially presented by Muya Billings. Well, there was a point in uh, the game where I turned to my mom, just knowing how good the this bullpen is, and I, you know, told her I said if we can get, if we have a lead and we get into seventh, it's over. Diamondbacks win; they're going to the World Series. And for the most part, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Diamondbacks win Game Seven, four to uh, two against the Phillies. Move on to the World Series, Ryan Thompson gets the win. Uh Brandon Fott was uh was okay, not you know, not super great, but was was efficient and did his job. Four innings pitched, gave up four hits, two earned runs, and the only runs that uh the Phillies would get. Uh walked uh two but had seven strikeouts. And that that was super fantastic. Joe Mantiply, two thirds of an inning, gave up one hit. Um Ryan Thompson uh, one and one third, uh, zeros across the board for him. Uh, Andrew Salfrank, uh, a third of an inning, walked two guys, did have a strikeout. Kevin Ginkle finished up uh, what uh, Salfrank uh, didn't or uh, couldn't rather. Um, just got in a jam, but Salfrank or uh, Ginkle went one and two thirds, struck out three guys. Uh, Paul Seawald shut it down. With uh, um, ground balls and and pop ups, and the other pop up was to uh, Lourdes Gurriel. Um, Walker uh, grounded in fielder's choice in the first, and Corbin Carroll was able to score. He, he Corbin Carroll he was uh, three for three, had a couple stolen bases. Um, Baum homered in in the second. Uh, Bryson Stott doubled, and Baum scored in the fourth. Corbin Carroll singled and uh, Rivera scored in the fifth. Uh, Moreno singled and Corbin Carroll scored um, in in the fifth as continued. It's three two. Corbin Carroll sacrifice fly and Prodomo scored four two. Uh, Ketel Marte was one for five. He became the MVP. We'll get uh, with that a little bit later. Corbin Carroll three for four. Um, with two RBIs, uh, Gavin Moreno, two for four RBI. Christian Walker has struggled throughout this series. He was 0 for three. He did have an RBI though. Um, Tommy Pham, 0 for three. Alec Thomas, uh, came in as a, uh, um, well, after the defensive change, uh, he was 0 for one. Uh, Lars Gurriel, two for four. Longoria as a DH, 0 for three. Paven Smith as a pinch hitter, 0 for one. 
Rivera one for four, and Perdomo two for three. Um, Diamondbacks, um, four runs on 11 hits, no errors. Phillies, two runs on five hits, no errors. And uh, here is how it, it all unfolded. Game seven. the first ever Game 7 in uh, Philly's history, 141 years. How about it? Every single person you talk to is like, I'm excited and I'm nervous. It's just like the biggest mash of those two things I think I've ever felt. Last night in Game 6, it was the Diamondbacks that would jump out early against Aaron Nola. These are special games here, Game 7, and it is Ranger Suarez on the mound for the Phillies. Well, you can't argue with those numbers in the postseason, but trying to give you fans at home a little peek into what's working so far for Suarez against the Diamondbacks. Look for that fastball two-seamer that he throws into the right-handers. That was the key in game three. Let's see if he can establish that tonight. Cattell Marte, an MVP candidate in this NLCS if the Diamondbacks win. 2-2, and down he goes. Off speed, and Marte down on strikes to start the ball game. Here's Corbin Carroll, who had a hit last night in the ball game. Also laid down a sacrifice, but he needed the hit. Bouncing ball up the middle. Going to be a tough play here. Stott fields it, but no chance to get Carroll. And it's an infield hit. Corbin Carroll is aboard in this first inning. Here now is Gabby Marino. Three and one. Carroll takes off, and the pitch is lined into right. A base hit. Carroll on his way to third now. Gabby Moreno, the talented young catcher, just continues to hit. His seventh hit in the NLCS. First and third for the Diamondbacks here with one out in the opening inning. Christian Walker in a big spot in this first inning. Broken bat, ground ball. Boehm to second, close play there, no play at first, so out at second, safe at first, a run comes in to score, and the Diamondbacks put one on the board in this first inning. Here's Tommy Pham who homered last night. Swing and a miss, struck him out. Diamondbacks get a couple of hits and one run in the first, they leave him in, and we're going to the bottom of the first here in South Philly. It's Arizona 1 and the Phillies coming to bat. 25-year-old right-hander Brandon Fought, the rookie Ronnie, gets the start in this Game 7. You know, guys, 12th rookie to start a Game 7. You can throw out those numbers. Uh, he has improved so much, three different stints in the minor leagues, each time working on his craft. He's at his best right now. He's got Kyle Schwarber to lead off. And he struck him out. Back to the changeup. And Schwarber is gone. Good start for Brandon Fogg. Turner, who had a long postseason hitting streak, and has uh, come to an end and uh, hitless his last couple of games. Turner breaks his bat. Here is Perdomo in the bright shoes. He makes the play, and two men are out in this first inning for Brandon Fogg. The Phillies trailing 1 0, and Bryce Harper batting for the first time here in game seven. He struck him out swinging. Fogg starts the night by striking out Schwarber and Harper in the first. So Guriel singles to start this inning. Already the third hit against Ranger Suarez. There's Evan Longoria, who doubled in a run in the game last night. Had a swing at a fly ball left field. Straight away, Marsh backs up a few steps. He'll make the catch. There's out number one. Here's Rivera, who is, as we mentioned, playing third base tonight. And Guriel takes Two. off from his knees. A one-hopper in there, not in time. Guriel steals second base. Popped him up, got in on his hands. Harper is under it. Two gone. Well, here's a guy in Perdomo who had a good year with runners in scoring position. Swing and a line shot up the middle. Stopped on a hop by Turner. His throw to first. A little low, but Harper's got it. And Perdomo is retired, and that'll do it for the Diamondbacks here in their half of the second. Alec Bohm will lead off here in the second. And the first ball is deep in the left. See you later, Alec Bohm. 
A solo shot to tie it. That is what the Phils desperately needed. Alec Bohm with his first home run this postseason, and what a time for it here in game seven. We start over in the bottom of the second. Here comes Bryson Stott. Now Stott on the first pitch, a fly ball, center field. Carroll eases back. He's got it at the track. Here's JT Realmuto. 2-2, fought deals, and he gets Realmuto. A strikeout, his third already, second out of the inning. Nick Castellanos bats now with two down. In time, and he strikes out Castellanos swinging. So four strikeouts, two on each of the first two innings, four fought, but he does give up a run. Arte struck out swinging to start the ball game. Strike three called, he got him looking. Fastball, and Marte turning away from it, just keeps on turning back to the dugout. There's out number one. Corbin Carroll had an infield single his first time up. He hits that ball sharply into left center, a base hit. So Corbin Carroll coming alive here. Three hits through the first six games of this NLCS. He's got two here tonight in game seven. Reno single to right his first time up. Carroll dancing at second base. On the ground to Turner. Carroll has to go to the back, and Turner makes a play for out number two. Walker drove in a run on a fielder's choice in the first inning. Walker, a little flare, foul territory, and Suarez gets out of the inning. And the Phillies have their leadoff man on, and getting the leadoff man out, man out there is big. Here's Rojas. Rojas bunts again. He's fast, got a hurry, fought, makes the play. Close play, though. Rojas was burning down the line. That'll go as a sacrifice bunt. Marsh advances to second base, and the Phillies have a runner in scoring position now with one away. And they also love Kyle Schwarber coming to the plate here. Strike three. Font rings the bell on Kyle Schwarber. Perfectly placed fastball. Got a generous call at the bottom of the zone. Schwarber is out. Strikeout number five. And here's Turner. On the ground. Nice pick over there by Rivera. And that is the inning. One, two, three. Go the Diamondbacks. And that is a strikeout for Ranger Suarez. His fifth. Middle of the fourth at Citizens Bank Park. Phillies one and Arizona one. And a one-out walk. Brandon Font, who in his 12 and two-thirds had walked one batter so far in the postseason. Now 15-plus innings of work with one, now two walks. Bryson Stott, second look here at Font. Flew out to center field on the first pitch his last time up. And he sends out into left center field. That is going to get down, and to the wall it goes. Boehm racing around the bags. He'll be sent home. Throw to the plate. Not in time. Phillies lead 2-1. to one. Bryson Stott with an RBI double. Mr. Two-strike hit this year for the Phillies, and he delivers again. It's his first double of the series, only his second extra base hit of this postseason. And what a big one as J.T. Romuto will bat. And that one is through for a base hit. First and third with one away as Romuto delivers a base hit. Castellanos with runners on the corners. Swing and a miss. And Castellanos down on strikes. Another beautiful sweeper. I said, he's just got to stay sweeper heavy on that guy. Well, here is Marsh. And he has been one of the more dangerous hitters in this postseason. He takes outside. It's ball four. Bases loaded now with Rojas coming up. And he struck him out. Fought with a big K. But the Phillies take the lead on the RBI double from Bryson Stott. And Rivera just volleyed it right back up the middle. And the leadoff man aboard now for Perdomo. Two hits yesterday, including a bunt single in yesterday's game. And he pushes one. Suarez will calmly 
make the play at first for out number one. It's a sacrifice for Perdomo. And Rivera to second base carries the tying run. And now Marte. Marte, a swing and a miss. Curveball puts away Marte. He's got the hat trick tonight against Suarez. Carroll is two for two with a run scored and a stolen base. Runner at second. Carroll up the middle and a base hit. Rivera round third. He will score the tying run. And Corbin Carroll, his third hit of the game. An RBI single. It comes with two outs. And it's a 2-2 ball game in the fifth. And Rob Thompson is on his way out. And that is the end of the line for Ranger Suarez. Jeff Hoffman coming on. Tie game. He's got a high leg click, kick and also brings his, his left knee back almost behind the rubber. That gives Carroll plenty of of time to be able to get a good jump and probably steal second base. I'd love to see him either do it the first or second pitch of this at bat. Here is Moreno. Carroll takes off from his knees. No chance. Big jump by Corbin Carroll. He steals his second base of the game. And Moreno into right field, a base hit. Here comes Carroll. Castellanos has a cannon. The throw is cut off. Carroll scores. Moreno in a rundown, a backhanded flip and out at first. But the Diamondbacks take the lead. Moreno and Carroll, the 23-year-olds, getting it done once again. So Schwarber will head into second with a leadoff double. Again, here's that spot where you've got Trey Turner coming up. He's hitless with runners in scoring position this postseason. Bouncing ball to Rivera. Looks Schwarber back, and Turner is retired. Out number one. 3-2 ball game. Diamondbacks lead. Runner at second. Bryce Harper at the plate. And Harper in the air to left field. Guriel is back. Feeling for the wall. He makes the catch. Harper just missed it. Alec Bohm is going to be coming up. And he'll face Ryan Thompson. Bohm pops it up. Thompson two pitches. And he is going to get the Diamondbacks out of this inning. Lourdes Guriel, second hit of the game. Seven hits in this NLCS, and Guriel is aboard with two away. And now Longoria, who is 0 for 2. Let's see if he can connect with a first pitch heater. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And that will do it for the Diamondbacks here in the sixth. It's a 1-2-3, bottom of the sixth inning, turned in by Ryan Thompson. We are done with six. We are on to the seventh. Diamondbacks three, Phillies two. Perdomo, an all-star this season. Taken over as the everyday shortstop. He's got a one-out single against Alvarado. It's been a rough night for Cattell Marte, batting right-handed. He has struck out three times. Right field, Castellanos on the run. Can't get it. It's over his head. One hop off the wall. Perdomo to third. He'll be held up there. It's a double for Cattell Marte. That's a National League record in the postseason for consecutive hits. It sets up the Diamondbacks here in the seventh, second, and third with one out. The batter's going to be Corbin Carroll. This will be lefty on lefty. In the air to right field. Should be deep enough. Perdomo tags. Castellanos the catch. And Perdomo will score. And Corbin Carroll. It's his game in game seven. His second RBI. He makes it four to two Arizona. And Alvarado unable to do his job. Gives up a run here. And he'll give way to Zach Wheeler. Wheeler will try and get Gabby Marino with Marte the runner at second. Swing and a miss. He got him. And Zach Wheeler comes on his first ever relief appearance. Starts with a strikeout of Gabby Moreno. Back-to-back walks from Saul Frank. And the fire is hot for the Phillies right now. That brings up Trey Turner. We'll see if it brings out Torrey Lovello. He's got the right-hander Ginkle waiting. Turner, a fly ball into center. 
Alec Thomas camps under it. Pache about halfway. He goes back to second as Thomas makes a catch, gets it back in. And that's out number two. And now it's Ginkle against Harper with two outs. Hitters count. Harper, a high fly ball to center field. Thomas settles under it. And Kevin Ginkle delivers two big outs for the Diamondbacks. And uh, he'll head to first base with a leadoff walk. All right, here is Alec Thomas now, bats for the first time in this ballgame. Thomas down the right field line. Castellanos got a long way to go, and he makes the catch. Walker has to retreat. So one out now for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. There goes Walker, pitches inside, and Walker's going to swipe second base. Eighth pitch of the at-bat, Gurriel. Shallow left center, long run. That is going to be caught by Turner. Snap throw to second. Walker is back. What a catch. Trey Turner, like a wide receiver going into the end zone. Yeah, what a catch because Marsh had no chance at this ball. Oh, my. No ordinary shortstop can make that play. Now Longoria is going to be pinch hit here for by Pavin Smith. Left field, it's not deep. Marsh is calling for it. He's under it, and he's got it. So we'll score this eighth inning for Zach Wheeler, despite the leadoff walk. Kevin Ginkle fans the side in the Philadelphia eighth. The fans are booing here at Citizens Bank Park as we move to the ninth. Diamondbacks four, Phillies two. All right, here's Rivera's got a hit and a score to run. Rivera skies one, shallow left. Marsh got a bit of a late break. He runs it down for out number one. Well, they're going to get the lefty into this game, and Zach Wheeler, who goes an inning in two thirds on his uh, side day. Geraldo Perdomo homered off Zach Wheeler in game one. And he's got another base hit. Perdomo with back-to-back two-hit games. He is aboard with one away. Well, speaking of a blow, Marte could maybe put this one out of reach with a long blow here. And a swing and a miss. Strom strikes him out for the second out of the ninth. Carroll will bat with a man on and two out. One and two the count. Perdomo takes off and a swing and a miss. A strikeout to end the inning. It's Paul Seawald, the big trade acquisition for Mike Hazen coming from the Mariners. He's got a chance to save this one and send Arizona to the World Series. He was the biggest piece that they got at the trading deadline, and he has not disappointed. Nick Castellanos will start it. Castellanos, a fly ball to right. Carroll is there. Diamondbacks are two outs away now. Another 0 for 4 tonight. Here comes the left fielder, Brandon Marsh. Marsh flicks one to left field, going back on it. Guriel, he's got it. Two outs in the ninth. And it's going to be Jake Cave getting that at bat. Seawall to strike away. Here he comes. Cave, a fly ball to right field over his Carroll. He's got it. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series. For the second time in their 26-year history, they have upset the Philadelphia Phillies. They come back after losing the first two games here in Philadelphia. They went four of the last five, the last two here at Citizens Bank Park, and they beat the Phillies four games to three, winning tonight's game by a final score of four to two. What a stinking game, man. It just You couldn't be more excited for that game um, and the way it happened. I, I mean, Corbin Carroll and some other guys uh, were able to step up, but I believe they were able to step up, especially Corbin Carroll. Um, and he's a rookie. He was, you know, the all series he's playing like a rookie. Um, but I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, uh, Tori Lovello handcuffing him a little bit. Um, 
you know, they, and they wanted to be smart and they could get that, but they weren't doing, and that, you know, you heard all, every game, you know, Dimebacks have stolen this many bases. Only team that stole more was the Reds. And, uh, but, but uh, in, the, in this series, it's been the Phillies that stole more bases, you know, and, and all this. They weren't doing what uh, got them there. And aggressive base running is large part of what got them there. And as soon as I don't, you know, as as soon as uh, I don't know if Corbin Carroll picked up on some things or uh, Tori said, you know what, all is, all is on the table. We got to win this game. Uh, but it's like it's a part of Corbin Carroll's game to, hey, if I steal some bases for whatever reason, I can get some hits. And that, that's exactly what happened. We need more. Have to have more from um, from Christian Walker, though, if we have any chance against the Rangers. Or, I, you know, I wouldn't say any chance, but we we, we got to get some from Christian Walker. No doubt about it. Um, and when Ranger Suarez went out, there was a couple shots he well as he was going out before they went to commercial break, he was visually uh, frustrated, and then when the run scored, um, shot went to him and and it was almost like he was in tears. He was so frustrated at that point, and and I turned to my mom and I was like, man, uh, Ranger Suarez, he can't believe what's going on, because you know he felt like he he blew it. He absolutely blew it. Um, it was it was just such a great, great series, great game, um, indeed. Um, before we get to uh, some of the on the field uh, festivities, we'll go ahead and uh, get Corbin Carroll uh, speaking with. Um, is it is it Matt? Uh, Weiner um, uh, from TBS. You caught the final out to end this NLCS. What was going through your mind when you squeezed it? We did it. You know, just we did it. That's all I can say. You guys were down 2-0. You came here facing elimination against a team that just doesn't lose on this field. How did you get to this celebration? Just believing in each other, you know, believing in our guys. We have, you know, we know what we have in that clubhouse, and it's special. So, you know, we, we've known it all year. And, man, just to be at this point, like, it's it's unbelievable. You were 2 of 19 just a few nights ago in this series. We talked to you at your locker, and, and you could see you are wearing it a little bit. Three hits tonight, drove in a couple of runs. How did you get from there to here? Yeah, just st sticking with it. Um, you know, it just, you can't ever give up on yourself, right? Like. It's just baseball. At the end of the day, things happen. Things don't go your way, but you know, it's having the same intensity and same process. You know, that, that allowed me to have today happen. You guys had a rough July. You lost nine in a row in August. Could you have imagined this celebration back then? Uh, you know, yeah, there were there were definitely some dark days there. You know, some some long nights. You know, for all of us, for players and coaches, just just wanting to find a way to get the job done. But we came out of it better. We, we really did. We found some things that, you know, just carried us to this point. How impressed were you by Brandon Fought tonight and this rebuilt bullpen? I, I can't say enough about those guys. I mean, it's just, 
it, it's night and day. Um, it's it, it's hard to say what you know express how much they do for us, but. We're just trying to go out there as an offense and kind of back up the energy they're giving us. Go celebrate. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. We'll go ahead and go to, let's see. Da, 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 da. Let's hear from, let's hear from Brandon Fott. Thank you. Brandon Fott, three months ago, you were pitching for the Reno Aces. You're standing here now going to the World Series. How do you describe that journey? You, you really can't. It's, it's unbelievable uh, to think that that was three months ago, and, and now that we're here, it's unbelievable. What adjustments did you make that made a night like this possible? I think just being competitive, going out there and pitching my ball game, and um, the coaching staff's been great to help me get to where I want to be, and, and it's been a long journey, but it's all paying off. With you in Reno for part of the year, at, at different times in your career, but Corbin Carroll, good friend of yours. What did you see from Corbin Carroll tonight? He's unbelievable. He's, uh, we're going to see him for, for a lot of years to come, and um, there's a reason he has his status, and, and it's, it's unbelievable. Brandon, I understand your brothers, Brett and Brady, made a road trip to watch you play tonight. When you see them in a little bit, what are they going to say to you? I don't know. There's probably going to be some tears. Um, yeah, they came out. They came out on mostly every game, and uh, I can't thank them enough. It's been it's been a journey. So, and finally for you, Brandon, your grandpa Bob. You shared with me before that he started all of this, the dream for you to pitch at Bellarmine, and now you're here. What's your message to Grandpa Bob tonight? Uh, I love him to death. I love him to death. So I couldn't. I wouldn't be here without him. So, Brandon, congratulations. Enjoy it. Thank you. All right, uh, Kevin Ginkle, who had a masterful. Um, uh, inning in two thirds, striking out the heart of the order, um, getting fired up about it. Let's see what he has to say. Kevin, this bullpen, for all practical matters, didn't exist a few months ago. How did it come together over the last few weeks? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I wish I had answers right now. Um, I think. Uh, this team battles, you know, I, I said in a, in a presser the other day, we find different ways to win games. Um, you know, we've slugged, we pitch, we play defense, we run the bases really well. Um, and, you know, when it was my spot to come in, I, I tried to do the best I could. And, um, you know, I did that. So I'm just, I'm, I'm happy. That's a really good club. All, all respect to that team. That is a very hard lineup to get through. And uh, they made they made it really hard for me. Eight postseason appearances for you this fall. Haven't given up a run yet. Got six out tonight, including that gauntlet at the top of the lineup. How did you try to go about getting through Schwarber, Turner, and Harper? See, I, coming in with runners on base, um, I knew with Turner, you know, he's going to be aggressive. I, I feel like when they got runners on base, they're typically aggressive. So try and use that, uh, you know, against them. And, you know, facing Harper, too. Um, you know, you just got to make quality pitches, you know, even if it's off the end of the bat, it's it's hit hard somewhere. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate to get two fly outs there, get out of the inning. And um, gosh, it's just it's amazing. It's I, I have no words, man. This is this is pretty emotional right now. You were with this team a couple of years ago when there wasn't much to celebrate. What does it mean to you tonight? Incredible. Every single person in this organization 
has gotten us here. Uh, guys on the 40 man, guys that have been up and down all year. Um, you know, coaches, trainers, like all our minor league people, they all have had a hand in this. Um, and it's just special. <laughs> I'm going to the World Series. It's insane. It's insane. Congratulations. Good luck in the World Series. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And uh, lastly, on the field, Christian Walker. Thank you. Christian, you grew up Limerick, Pennsylvania, about 30 miles from here. How did you get here now standing here going to the World Series? Oh, just a great group of guys, a bunch of hard workers, um, you know, a bunch of guys that you want to take to battle with you every day. Uh, I'm so proud of this team, uh, where we've come, the, the roller coaster. It's, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You arrive here down 3-2. Your pitchers gave up three runs in two games. How do you describe that effort? Man, that's what we needed. That's exactly what we needed. That's, that's the makeup of this team. When we need somebody to step up, somebody steps up. It's a different guy every day. And, you know, they, they, uh, they put us on our backs for sure. Are we going to call this the Corbin Carroll game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine as well, right? Him or Gabby, either one. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. When you think about, again, your journey, growing up so close to here, you got a lot of family and friends in this area in the ballpark tonight. Who are you thinking about? Um, yeah, just grateful from, you know, my parents, my mom, uh, my wife, all the support. Um, huge support staff. But, you know, you can't do it without them. The people who love you and, and they're in it for the right reasons. It's, it's, uh, those are the people you lean on. And finally, Christian, just that sentence that you're hearing now, Christian Walker is going to the World Series. What emotions come back when you hear those words? Yeah, man, you're going to make me cry. That's uh, it's so exciting. You know, this group, we, we had it in the plan the whole time. But uh, to execute and come out is a whole different thing. And, uh, man, we're, we're so excited. Christian, congratulations. Good luck on Friday. Thank you. All right. Now let's get to the presentation of the NLCS trophy. Dimebacks, they're the kings of the National League. Welcome back to Philadelphia. The Arizona Diamondbacks have planted their flag here after winning the National League for the first time in 22 years. Next up, the Texas Rangers in the World Series. But first, we have to make this National League Championship official. And here to do that, Managing General Partner Ken Kendrick, President, CEO, and General Partner Derek Hall, Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Hazen, Manager Tori Lovello, and the NLCS MVP. Ken, the Warren C. Giles Trophy is yours. part of this team 22 years ago with the championship a one squad this one feels more unexpected certainly from the outside how about from your perspective well most people didn't think we would be here but every one of these young men standing around us they believed and here we are and we're bringing the championship back to Arizona and we have more work to do but we're very proud tonight it's a great night to be a D-back what would you like to say to the folks back in Phoenix well, I'm glad they've hung in there with us. Uh, we're coming home. We're going to be playing more baseball, and uh, uh, we're very, very, very excited uh, for the accomplishments of these young men. Congratulations. Thank you. Derek, how's that feel? Feels really good. You know, I'm so happy for our players, for our coaches, our manager, our general manager. 
I'm so happy for our employees who are the best in the industry, but really for our fans. They stuck with us. They were patient. They were supportive. They were trustworthy when we said we're building something. And now we're back. Snakes alive. Go D-backs. Way to go. Mike Hazen. Where'd Mike Hazen go? Here's Mike Hazen. Hey, Mike. Congratulations. You guys lost 110 games just two years ago. You could have made some rash decisions. You could have blown things up. How did you get from there to here? Uh, we just have a tremendous group of players that work really hard, coaches and a great manager. And they, they've played phenomenal so far in the playoffs. And we got some more work left to do. We're going to go down to Texas and see what we can do down there, too. The bullpen in this series, in the postseason, I don't want to name everybody because I may leave somebody off. Saul Frank, Ginkle, Seawald, Thompson. Some of those guys, a lot of those guys weren't around at the beginning of the year. How did it all come together? Yeah, those guys have played as a group and have carried us to where we are today. The last six, four or five innings of every game, we're shutting them down and giving the offense a chance to score runs, and that's why we're here. Good luck against Texas. Thank you. Tori Lovello. Congratulations. You've been through it with this team, the ups and the downs, including this season. You guys had a rough July. You lost your first nine games of August. How do you recover from that and play your way into the World Series? I think a big part of this culture is resiliency and adaptability and understanding that you're going to have some good and bad days and you've got to budget for those times. And, you know, I've said it many times, and, and I'll say it again, a connected team is a very dangerous team. And no matter what happened, <laughs> No matter what happened through those times of crisis, these guys stuck together, and it was a true commitment and a true bond that I watched every single day. You're down 2-0 in this series. You're down 3-2 in this series coming here where nobody had won. Yeah. How did you come away with this with the trophy over there? A lot of what I just mentioned. This group totally believed and committed to one another, and they just sold out for a bigger cause. And uh, for us to be standing on the stage is a great moment. Um, we're going to bring home this trophy to the state of Arizona. We are so Arizona proud. I just want to say thanks to every one of those fans that came out there and supported us. There were several here today, and this is a very hostile crowd. This is a very good crowd. Uh, but our guys were very focused. Uh, they had a they had a an effort that didn't waver, and they knew what their task was every single pitch. You said before this game you were excited to show off your players to the rest of the country and what they could do on this stage. What did they show them tonight? They were a damn good baseball team. We're ready for the next step. <laughs> Congratulations. Good luck against the Rangers. Tori Lavello. Before we get to our MVP and Cattell Marte, I, I got teary-eyed the other night, and I did uh, during this recording just now when they they bring up Mike Kazin. And, and there was no part of that that was sad. Um, and so to the, you know, unknowledgeable, un you might not understand why I would get, uh, you know, get tear-eyed. But it's like not, not it's happy tears more so. Especially, you know, for you know, for Mike Hazen and, and what he's done. And I've mentioned it many times on this podcast and it can't be overstated that, um, you know, it, it's the same Mike Hazen though. Let me preface this that felt like, okay, um, we're going to bring back the same group that, that, uh, failed 
epically in in uh in 2020 and we're going to bring them back we're going to say you know what it was a shortened year we're going to bring these guys back even though we clearly saw that that they they couldn't handle it we're going to bring them back and they brought them back in 2021 2021 they lost um 110 games. By the way, the Rangers lost 102, so 212 games combined lost in 2021, by the way. But you decided to bring them back. And then you break camp with Madison Bumgarner, Zach Davies, um, um, uh, not Christian Walker. Well, you broke with Christian Walker, but he wasn't the one I was thinking of. Um, Carson Kelly, and you you broke camp with um, Nick Ahmed, and uh, you know all all this negative negative thing. You're just like, my goodness, you know what what what's what's going on here, and so you, a lot of questionable things. But one thing that you can't, um, you know, question a whole lot is does Mike Hazen really care and know, know what he's doing? Because it's, it's also the same Mike Hazen that made the, made the trade of Dart, Dalton Varsho that, that clearly so far is lopsided trade, a Dalton Varsho that had a great year, and brings in Gabby Marino and uh, Loris Guerrero Jr. And those are names you you've heard on the broadcast a lot, especially Gabby Marino. The you know Gabby Marino, I don't know. It's like they're they're nineteen and six or seven or thirteen and five or some you know odd numbers and wins above replacement. And he they that that's how many games above five hundred. They are, like I said, I think it's like thirteen five or nineteen and six or nine, whatever it is, um, with Gabby Moreno on on the team, and just unbelievable. He he, this is the same uh, Mike Hazen that rebuilt the farm system that that bring in guys like Brandon Fought that bring in, you know, through through trades and other means that bring in, um, uh. Oh man, I'm drawing blanks, but all all these other young young players, Corbin Carroll, Jordan Lawler, um, and rebuilt this farm system. So a lot of credit has got to go Mike Hazen, but he did all those things while knowing that his his wife Nicole could lose her her life at any moment, and that's just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable, and that, that's kind of why I get teary-eyed because it, you know I'm sad for him, but I'm also happy for what what's happened, and and then you know it's just it's just unbelievable, and then that that's that's where my mind goes, and that that's where it went the other night, and that's where it went tonight. Um, now to your NLCS MVP, Cattell Marte. On trophy left on this table, and that goes to the 2023 NLCS MVP, 
Cattell Marte. Congratulations. Where's Rolando? Here with Rolando Valles. Cattell, a 16-game hit streak in the postseason. That's a major league record. You tied the franchise record with 19 hits in the postseason with a series to go. How can you describe how you've played this fall? 16 juegos consecutivos dando de hit, un récord en las Grandes Ligas. ¿Qué se siente? Nada, yo me, me siento súper bien. Gracias a Dios, lo que salgo siempre a dar 100%, ayudar al, al equipo a ganar. Eso, eso gracias a Dios, eh, las cosas me están saliendo bien. The whole idea is to give everything you get, right? Everything you got. So, uh, thankfully, things are working out. Mike had offers for you over the years. You're a good player. Everyone knew that. It seemed like the Diamondbacks were sort of treading water. How glad are you that you're here on this stage tonight? A pesar de los años, tú has demostrado la calidad de jugador que eres, ¿verdad? ¿Qué tan contento estás tú de tener esta oportunidad de estar en esta en, en esta cartelera ahora? Eh, nada, fíjate, por alguna razón él me dio la extensión y eh, lo que hay que seguir, tú sabes, jugando. Yo creo en mí, yo creo en mi talento, eso es lo que tú sabes. Eh, de verdad, estoy, estoy muy agradecido por, por cada bendición que Dios me ha dado este año. There's a reason why he got extended to stay with the D-backs. And he thanked God and for the opportunity to show what he's got. What are you looking forward to most now about playing in the World Series? ¿Qué es lo que está buscando? en cuanto a jugar en la Serie Mundial. Seguir ganando, cuatro más y ya somos campeón. Keep on winning, just four more games. Felicidades. Gracias. The Arizona Diamondbacks, your 2023 National League champs. I've busted Cattell Marte's chops a lot. And it it it's well deserved. To be honest with you, everybody knows, you know. And if you don't, he's you know, he's had a couple of good seasons, couple almost MVP like seasons, and, and he had one that warranted the you know the the big payday. He gets paid and and legitimately comes back, um, fat and out of shape, and I as I say, fat and happy on the farm. And um, kind of got gets lazy a little bit, um, and just um, it's just really unacceptable. You know, he's a good dude. He, you know, he 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 leads the other Latinos and helps them out, helps them you know find their way around the city, find their way around the community. You know, helps them get involved if they want to get involved and, and on all these things. But there's just so many boneheaded things that uh that he that he's done. Um and it's 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 very, very, very frustrating. Um and uh I, you know, but this postseason has been fantastic and so you know the 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 MVP uh, most certainly uh, deserved. Um, let's see. Ooh. 
We got one more by um, Corbin Carroll. Uh, let's go with that. Better, better squeeze it. Um, you know, just they they fought us hard all series, and so to be able to finally put it away and um, you know run towards that dog pile, um, man, uh, just hell of a feeling. You know, I, I won't speak for other people, but I thought I thought it'd take uh, you know a little more time, um, so to be able to do it in this first year just makes it, uh, you know, all, all the more special. This has been so much more than than just one person. Um, and I will speak about Cattell, but I think he's first just have to speak about this team and what an unbelievable, um, you know, just team performance it's been this, this entire postseason. Um, but yeah, Cattell, um, just special player. There, there was times this year where it was like, how, how do you even pitch this guy? Um, and, and, you know, he's kind of back in that mode right now. Um, it's special to watch, you know, just the, the people here care about baseball. I got heckled probably five times going down the street today. I walked a block. So just, just, it's, it's cool. You know, it, it's easy to get caught up in the day and, and get caught up in the, just the, the minute. Um, but just realizing that, you know, that that's all it is, right? It's just a little hitch of, of things not going your way. Um, you know, that was kind of my mindset. Um, it's like, hey, and that, that's kind of just true in general of me too, is like, in the end, I think everything evens out eventually. You know, I had a photo on my phone two years ago um, that like, popped up on my phone yesterday and it was me on my couch in Seattle watching the 2021 NLCS. And it's a picture of, you know, the screen saying that and then my, my dog. Um, so, you know, I shared that with some of the guys before the game today. It's like, how cool is this that, um, you know, I was, I was sitting on the couch, um, you know, probably still rehabbing at that point and now get to play in the games. Um, just very fortunate. Very special. Very special for for that young man. Um, so after uh, the Phillies won uh, game game five uh, in in Phoenix, um, Chris Mad Dog Russo. Russo uh, Big personality, uh, sports personality. Uh, he made a a statement that unfortunately he didn't back up. Uh, kinda, I kind of wish he did. I mean, he's he's great for sports. Um, I'm don't listen to him a whole heck of a lot. I don't I don't really like him too too much. But you know, I I know he's he's great uh, for for sports. Um, from what I understand and listen to every, everybody else. All, um, but he made a statement, very, very bold statement, that he said if the Diamondbacks uh, win both games in um, Philadelphia, six and seven, that he would retire on the spot. 
and he didn't. Um, we found out, you know, yesterday he didn't. But Tori Lavella was asked about just those comments. Related to the win, um, have you received a phone call from Chris Russo conceding? Does he send you a letter? How does this work? Uh, I just talked to JP about that. He said he's a good friend of his. And um, I told him, um, you, you got you to gotta follow through. I know he and Stephen A. Smith go back and forth with all these broken promises. Like, somebody's got to follow through. And I know he probably worked his last day at the MLB Network, and we're taking um, applications over there in Arizona right now to work for the D-backs. We, we need good people. So... Um, I, it's it's good fun banter he, with he and I. He is a he is a good man. Um, he's a friend. I consider him a friend of mine. And the last time I spoke to him on the air, he said, well, "I'm gonna we're, I'm coming at you. We're gonna keep coming at you and keep coming at you." He said, "Give it back to me when you feel like you can." So I am right now. <laughs> oh man! Um, it, it, before the game, he he was asked about it, and he said, "I would love to see him retire." You know, and not. Probably not because he doesn't like the guy, but because, you know, if he retires, that means the Diamondbacks advance to the, to the World Series. Um, here is uh, more Tori Lovello, and it might contain that quote, but, you know, I had to get that one specifically, um, you know, from, from his whole whole presser here. First of all, before I answer the question, um, I just want to say, um, you know, it was an unbelievable NLCS. Uh, I want to obviously congratulate the Philadelphia Phillies on their success this season. Um, they they have a great general manager. They've got a great manager, and it was it was our honor to come and, and compete against them. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion. You know, you you're trying to compartmentalize things. You 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 don't really know what's happening outside of. Um, the thought of getting three outs. That's all that I was focusing on. And we got to two outs. I felt like uh, Paul was in total control of that. I let my, that last at bat, I let my mind wander for about 15 seconds in between pitches and thought, <clears throat> we're really close to doing something really special um, for the entire state of Arizona, for, for this organization um, that's had a lot of hardships over the past. Um, you know, 36, 48 months for us to be where we are right now. It was it was a good moment, and I, I allowed myself to go there. I try not to because it's a dangerous thought because you can be let down emotionally. <clears throat> but when it finally happened and I saw the fly ball go up, it was a pretty euphoric feeling. We're adrenaline junkies. You know, it's in and out of that of, of that moment, and when it hits a high and you feel it, it's a flush through your body and it gets no better. I just talked to JP about that. He said he's a good friend of his, and um, I told him um, you, you gotta you gotta follow through. I know he and Stephen A. Smith go back and forth with all these broken promises. Like somebody's gotta follow through, and. I know he probably worked his last day at the MLB Network, and we're taking um, applications over there in Arizona right now to work for the D-backs. We, we need good people. So um, I, it's, it's good fun banter he, with he and I. He is a, he is a good man. Um, he's a friend. I consider him a friend of mine. And the last time I spoke to him on the air, he said, well, I'm, gonna, we're, I'm coming at you. We're going to keep coming at you and keep coming at you. He said, give it back to me when you feel like you can. So I am right now. I'm, I just try to be my true, authentic self every single day. And yeah, I have to lead the team and sometimes make some tough decisions and have tough, tough conversations. But I wouldn't trade one single piece of my career um, for how it went that led me to today. And Trust me when I say there were some real hardships. There were some very dark days 
um, in my career. And you know, we lost 110 games two years ago. So for me to sit here and tell you that I wouldn't trade that in, if, if, if you told me that I would have this, I'd be coming out the other side of it like this, I would understand why I was having to go through that. I've learned so much about myself. Um, and you know the things that I really believe in and what I have to do every single day to keep um, remembering my own personal purpose and the path forward was a challenge. But like I said, I wouldn't trade it for one thing in the world because I've learned so much about what it takes to be the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks and I couldn't be more proud to, to be this, what I am. I was just trying to recalibrate things and make sure that the team knew that, um, that we were coming here to play our best baseball. And that's, that's been the messaging, and it's, it's, it's been very consistent throughout the course of the year. Today is going to be our finest hour. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that they knew that's how I felt, because I know when I stand up here or sit up here, it's out of my mouth and in their hands on their phones. And I, I believed it. I said it a couple times as I was kind of getting into the day, and I, I got a chance to say it in front of you guys, um, because I meant it. I meant that we were gonna we were gonna reload, refocus, and and even though it was a tough loss in Game Five, we still had a pulse. And when you stay connected the way we have been, um, you you might need subtle reminders, but there are opportunities to kind of go out and do something and start a new day. And that was my mindset. And uh, lastly, from Toru Lavella, before we get into the Arizona sports portion is his clubhouse speech. All right, I want you guys to drink up every single piece of this tonight. This is an amazing accomplishment. As I've told you, a connected team, and I felt it from day one with you guys. It's a really, really dangerous team. We're not done yet. No, we ain't. I think I like that move, just going straight, straight to, straight to Texas, because you know if you you make a stop in Arizona, you you might you know, guys might meet up with family or whatever that that they have that they moved out there, and you you know you, yes they need to be a part of their family, but that also can be a a distraction, and I don't know if that's what you know Tori was thinking, but he's like, I mean well they they play tomorrow, you know. This is Thursday edition of Big Sky Sports Talk. You know they 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 play tomorrow, uh, but and the game ended on Tuesday, so they headed straight to Dallas. Got there. Um, they've been playing on the East Coast, so now they'll be playing in the Central. So you know it's not a big big deal. Um, different weather, warmer weather. Um, so got to you know get used to all that and not that it would take a whole long time but i i just think it's a wise move boom straight straight to straight to dallas and uh um that way you're there um there there's less distractions um and and you just you're there 
ready to go. Um, here is uh, uh, Dan and Vince uh, kind of giving their thoughts on uh, the Diamondbacks making the World Series. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigly Blast. So, I wore a hat to work today just so I could tip it to our baseball team, our World Series-bound, pennant-winning baseball team. So let's all say it again. Let's freaking party! Folks, the 2023 Diamondbacks, they're more than a great story. They are a civic jackpot. They are the lottery ball payoff we rarely get in Arizona. I mean, who are we? We're the city that redefined injustice and heartbreak. We're a basketball town that squandered a 2-0 lead in the 2021 NBA Finals that couldn't win a home game in the 1993 NBA Finals, the city that couldn't hold a lead in the Super Bowl, and a city that has kneecapped our hopes and dreams, housing some of the worst ownership dysfunction you could ever imagine, but not anymore. The Diamondbacks eliminated three teams that had combined for 282 victories. They won six of eight road games. They reached the World Series after playing only four games at Chase Field. So many sports teams talk about shocking the world, but the Diamondbacks just did. They're young and fearless. They won two straight games in the crucible of South Philly in the most hostile hot box in baseball. And if I would have told you that sweeping the hated Dodgers might rank third on their list of postseason accomplishments, you would have put me in a straitjacket. So props to the Diamondbacks and all the Valley fans who made this triumph so rich, who filled this story with stardust and fireworks. This is a franchise that has been a distant third on the Valley pecking order for 20 plus years. A franchise that might win a second title before the other big three get their first effectively telling the Cardinals and the Suns to hold their beer. They don't need it anyway. These days, they're too busy guzzling champagne. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. And a ground ball back off the pitcher's glove. Deflects to Kim. Steps on second. This one's over. And the Padres won it 10 to 5. Why am I playing that? 10 to 5. That was August 11th. Bit Greg Schulte on the uh, final call. That was the Diamondbacks' ninth straight loss to start August. They had fallen to 57 and 59. And you talked about them being a distant third in your blast. Mm -hmm. They were squarely in third place in the National League West at that time. And the reason why I play that is Paul Sewald on a podcast appearance during the course of the National League Championship Series was asked by the host, it was the uh, Foul Territory podcast with uh, A.J. Przinsky, was asked during the podcast, hey, Tori Lavella made something, you know, like there's an inside joke between uh, you and, and him when you're going into games and whatnot, and uh, what, what is it all about? And Tori said, I'll keep that between us. Paul Sewald says, I don't know why he kept it secret. He said, after that game, we had just lost to the Dodgers two games. We got worked by the Padres. And he said that Tori Lovello addressed the team in, in the locker room and said, you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of being the junior varsity team for the National League West. And that's when the turnaround started. 
that's when they righted the ship because there was that stretch, and we talked about it in real time. We've talked about it afterwards. 7-25 and 25 over 32 games. Mm-hmm. You don't find teams that overcome that even to make the playoffs, let alone win a pennant yeah. and play for a no. World Series yeah, title. Yeah, listen, 25 of 30, they lost 25 of 32 games in the span of 42 days. So for basically six weeks, they were a garbage baseball team. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot that locked it in, but I do think the, the main thing is what you said earlier, the ability to kind of on the fly reconfigure that bullpen and turn it into something that went from a big minus to a big plus practically overnight. A- and that to me was one of many things that, that kind of occurred Talked about it yesterday. There was a time when this baseball franchise was determined to to kind of force Carson Kelly back into the C1 role, starting catcher role. And, and I don't blame them. They had to realize, do we have a future with this guy? Are we going to give this guy another deal? What do we have with Carson Kelly? And they all kind of realized how important this Gabriel Marino kid was. And, and he just, that kid just kept growing and growing and growing. And then could tell Marte to have a 16 game postseason hitting streak, right? He's I never mean, played a postseason game without getting a without hit. Without getting That's a hit. Ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is. And so, especially how he looked in his first three at bats last night. Struck out three times. Yeah. Um, and and how about Corbin Carroll having a really, really disappointing series until game seven and then having a historical mm-hmm. game? Yeah. Yeah, and so it was really, uh, it was quite a revelation. And, you know, I, I understand that all across sports, the idea of home field advantage is, is under scrutiny. People in the NFL wonder, is this even a big deal anymore? Road teams in the baseball playoffs, 22-14 and 14 this year. Home teams facing elimination, 0-5. So you're a home team, and you're taking solace in defending your season and your turf at home? You're not winning. How's that working out for you? It's not. But but I don't want that to kind of marginalize or mitigate winning a couple of games in South Philly. Because I'm going to repeat this. Um, in the post-game victory celebration, they gather on the baseball field and they present the National League Championship trophy to all the principals. So Ken Kendrick was there. Uh, Derek Hall was there. Mike Hazen was part of it. The whole team is there. And, of course, Tori Lavella was there. And so while they're talking and while they're asking questions and giving answers – the crowd, it, you could hear this thick, angry buzz in the background. And uh-huh. you could hear people start to boo, but not really, because they realized, we don't want to boo them. We want to boo our own. We want to boo the field. Get that baseball team back out on the field so we can boo them. I, I, this is not a stretch, because like I say repeatedly, I've got a couple of very close friends who are huge. They're Philly guys from Philly, huge Philly sports fans. Um, they're, they're all AWOL today, but they're both just besides them beside themselves because this basket or this baseball team that they absolutely adored has just broken their hearts they are now a disgrace to the city of Philly one of my Philly fans used that word they they are a disgrace to the city of Philly that is unbelievable but it's really something we experienced with the Suns 2 years ago a basketball team we absolutely loved until we hated them for what they did against the Mavericks in Game Seven, so you're saying true. two years from now, Bryce Harper is going to be the only player on the Phillies <laughs> from this team. <laughs> that is such an apt comparison. Same thing, because you know, going to the finals and and squandering a two nothing lead to the Bucks, it was yeah, it hurt. Not going to lie, but there was still so much to feel great about. There was a palpable anger. 
that whole offseason with what mm-hmm. happened with the Suns squandering that lead against the Mavericks, that inexplicable Game 7 failure. Yeah. That's the way Philly fans are going to feel. They were up 2-0 on a team that they don't believe. They don't believe the Diamondbacks are even worthy of playing on the same field as the Philadelphia You know how Phillies. happy they were that they were playing the D-backs and not the Dodgers? Yes, They absolutely. thought they were going to waltz into the World Series. They did. They did. And, and for this thing to be two zip and to turn this on them, I, I can't even imagine what Philly radio sounds like this morning. Imagine I might tune in later just today for that. just for giggles. Just, oh. Yes, just to, to serve your pettiness. Yes. Forget, being up, forget being up 2-0. When they won game five in Arizona, the Phillies, I'm sure they were already planning world, buying World Series tickets. Yeah. Because they were like, we just have to win one out of two at home now yeah. against these losers that can't beat us at home. Well, Vinny was right. After that game five, the the Phillies kind of gave off this vibe like, okay, that was cute, but the fun's over. Yeah. We we took our eye off the ball for a minute, but now now yeah. everything's restored. Yeah, fun was just go to sleep, to Arizona. Keep doing the wave, Arizona. Yeah. Exactly. Cute. Yeah. yeah. To answer your question, Bick, um, a Philly Tribune reporter did instant reactions with fans after the game last night, leaving the stadium. Um, many of them said they would like to lie down in traffic. <laughs> many of them said... Uh, trade Bryce Harper, oh um, and Come a on. lot of words that I cannot use on this I here know, radio you sent station. That link. I can't wait to. to how, yeah, how about these? There's a lot of, of not safe for work language in there. <laughs> and how about the possibility of Greg Schulte getting from the Diamondbacks with the Suns could not give Al McCoy? It's crazy, isn't it? I thought about that too. The governor just keeps on going. Yeah, that that's that's insane in itself. Uh well. From one show to the next, uh, we go um, the Wolf and Luke, sh- Luke Wolf and Luke show, and Jody Jackson joining us in studio right now. I just saw her on TV, the TV that was right behind her. Jody Jackson is here. Jody, how did you do that? Yeah, it's the power of uh, well driving up here pretty quickly. But uh, <laughs> apparently, I'll tell you, I think Tori just um, you know Mad Dog. He's got the thing going with Mad Dog, right? And mm-hmm. I think he just offered him a job in in Arizona since um, he was retiring allegedly. But I don't know if the guys would embrace. I think he offered him my job. It maybe sounded like oh, it. No. But I, I don't know if the guys would embrace him in the clubhouse after what's <laughs> gone on. I don't think so. <laughs> Mad Dog's not allowed in the pool. I can yeah, tell you right. that if they win the world. Exactly. Uh, no, I don't think that's gonna fly, Jody. God, what a morning, you guys. What what a night, what a morning. It's it's so amazing. It's so great. I'm so happy for them. The picture of those guys all there at Citizens Bank Park, what they did going in there and not only not getting their you-know-what kicked, but just shutting the Phillies down, it's truly unbelievable. We should be so proud of this team. Yes. And, and, and I got to go big picture for one minute because it goes back to Ken Kendrick and Derek Hall and the organization hiring Tori and Mike back in 2016. And then, yes, it's been, and we all know the journey. It, it was it was awesome the first year with the wild card. But, you know, they only won one game there. And, and what's funny is I heard some callers earlier this morning talking about you know, they really didn't they – were, they were kids watching the World Series, and then they really didn't have anything to latch on to. And I, what, it makes you realize that you got to go on a run. And this run has been unbelievable, you know, and they've won so many road games, and it's the attrition, and it's hanging in there and sticking in there and, and being the underdog. And, and so 
I mean, for me, 2017 was awesome, but it was one game. And so now, you know, the Valley has just latched on to this team and the guys and every single guy that's contributed. And and it's it's great to see it come together. And I think it goes back to 2016. That's where it started. And then they had the dark times and, and the hard times. And, and they've all hung in there and persevered to get to this point. I just can't help being a little nostalgic to, like, the roots of it. Yeah. And and drafting, you know, the farm system, everything coming together and, and as much and then making moves in September, as recent as September to make this bullpen what it is. It's it's awesome to see. See, for me, Jody, honestly, right now, as a former professional athlete, it's the collective toughness of this team that stands out to me that I love so much and I respect so much because I know how difficult it is to be that. I don't care if it's baseball, hockey, football, basketball, whatever it may be. The collective toughness of this team is what I cherish. The th- they had to win four or five, and that's what they did. They won four or five. They had to yeah. win two at Citizens Bank Park. Think about that <laughs> for a minute. And they did it not once, but twice. It's just incredible. The resiliency is what I love. And and I think that speaks to, you know, it's physical because I'm sure, again, they're tired and all of this and the run that you go on, it's a lot about coming every day with your best. And they're obviously doing that. But I think every team's doing that, right? You get to this point, and and I'm sure the and the Phillies were doing that. And that's the thing. The Diamondbacks won that series. The Phillies right. didn't falter. Yeah. They're yeah, still a Philly. Point. It's still Bryce Harper. It's still Nick Castellanos. And Nick Castellanos came in hot. And they shut him down. He turned They shut him down. Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, what Kevin Ginkle did last night. And and he speaks to the toughness. You know, in baseball, we all know it's very mental. Getting through the 162 to get to this point. And that's where toughness comes from. Inside. It, it does because there's hard days in there. That's where the coaches and the support system and the trainers and the analysts and everybody, you know, um, you go top to bottom and they help these guys get through the 162 to get here. So they had to get in, right? And the Rangers got in on the last day, and the D-backs got in on the second to last day. And then once you get in, it's how do you maximize everyone on your roster? How do you turn it on? And look, and it has been a little bit of everyone. I look, the turning point really... Uh, I mean, Corbin had a great game last night, which was wonderful to see. It was very fitting. He got the last out. I think we all saw the symbolism yes, there. Absolutely. And he because they're not here, he they're it. not here without him. I truly believe that, even as one person. And I'm talking about a team game. But yeah, game six, the turning point had to be Fam and Guriel Jr. Mm-hmm. And and then and then Longoria with the RBI there. That to me turned this thing because you had to come out. The fact that they great made point, that Jimmy. happen. That changed everything. And so there's moments, it's it's truly everyone, but then there's some moments that stand out, and that was one of them. I know we've talked about this, you know, to a certain extent in the past, but I think it needs to be highlighted today. Um, you know, two seasons ago, they're winning their last two games of the season just to get to 52 wins, Jody. And I was out there a lot that season, but not nearly as much as you. And the only memorable moment that in a good way was Tyler Gilbert's no-hitter out of nowhere in the middle of August. Yeah, it was a gem there in the middle of the uh the stink, in, in fact, I guess I, you could say. I think it was Tommy Pham that almost broke that up a couple times. But either way, that was not that long ago. And the patience that they showed, and you kind of alluded to this, but the patience to stick with not just Tory, but an overarching plan that they had, 
that doesn't always pay off. And I would say even more, people just abandon the plan and they start over and they start over again the next year and they just keep starting over and you never get anywhere. That to me is one of the biggest things that they have done is is to actually stick with a plan and believe in what they were doing and be decisive about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, those hires were made in 16 because these are smart baseball people. Mike, Amiel, Mike Fitzgerald, uh, Tory, and then they added, of course, to Tory's staff. And I think, again, you can't underestimate adding Jeff Bannister, Brent Strom. I mean, Dan Carlson's been there a really long time with the pitching. Mike Fetter's been there a long time. But it starts with hiring smart baseball people. And they didn't get any dumber. They didn't lose that intelligence <laughs> or work ethic. It's it's the intelligence add, and then added with the drive, determination, and work ethic. And you guys know Mike Hazen. The freaky, <laughs> the freaky the Mike Hazen. The freaky Mike Hazen. I know you wrote a song about him, didn't you? I, I did, as a matter I, of fact. I know. Fact, you might Jerry. want to break out yes. that song. We, we got to build to this. We got a few days before the first game, too. So you You're got right a lot. About that. There's I, plenty you can to. do, Wolf, to build this thing. <laughs> yeah, you should write and a song Mike for Hazen. each game of the World Series. I mean, just think how good you've got to be as a general manager if you're a freaky with your moves. You know what I mean? Like, you make moves that are so good. It's freaky. Well, he's made I two, mean, that just... two trades in the last year, but what is it, I guess, 11 yeah. months, uh, that are two of the best trades in Diamondbacks history for Seawald. <laughs> is that it? Is, Jody, oh, this yeah. is for I don't right remember here. it being like a dance yeah, party. Well, oh, always. This is the freaky <laughs> Mike Hazen is temple be leaking. Signing Madison, the nation is freaking. Mike got thoughts biggest head in the league. Making moves while GM's looking at Puig. <laughs> Hazen is brazen, not afraid of his shadow. Wheeling and dealing, sometimes he's stealing. The D-backs GM, coveted by some. The Red Sox are angry, not with Mad Bomb. Not with Mad Bomb. Okay, we, we got to update the lyrics. Yeah, you're gonna have to remix yeah, this for I mean, the World it's okay. Series. It's all right. I do need to cut that, man. Yeah, I mean, but, but I look at the freaky Mike Hazen <laughs> Temple be leaking. No, you can keep some of the words. You just need to change some of the names. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was my can I just tell you, Luke, that was my favorite right there. The freaky Mike Hazen temple be leaking. Reached the point of the show where Wolf from a few years ago impresses Wolf. Freaky Mike Hazen, oh, no. wheeling and dealing. Acquired Josh Rojas. Astros were squealing. Rojas is killing, raking and taking. Got a sniff of the bigs. Smells like bacon. Okay. Hey, Josh Rojas <laughs> turned into Paul Seawald. Okay, so okay, I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to recut Let's go with the yeah. I mean, and yeah, we'll there's, there's a lot. But, you know, it just goes back to, um, you know, this group staying together. They didn't get dumber. They did lose 110 games. But I'm telling you what, a lot of people don't realize what I remember from that year is that the pitching was they, they didn't have any of their pitchers. They were all injured. Yeah. And they were all in. The guys that came in were ineffective. And then it spiraled downward. And I think that's what made Tori upset because you're the manager. You're not supposed to let it spiral downward. But it was really hard. There was nothing to latch on to you to come out of the abyss. You have to be able to latch on to something. And they did that this year when they lost nine in a row they came out of it because they had guys and they had the mental fortitude and you know and they just they couldn't do that then and but to see the turnaround is truly incredible and yes credit to you know Ken and Derek for sticking with them but they also knew deep down they knew uh, that there were some other factors that were out of those guys' control, mm-hmm. and and sometimes that happens. And yeah, they believed it's the same. It's the same reasoning when they when they hired them. They just you know this is like what we're going to stick with, and we're going to build this. And we all thought again the narrative this year was it's going to be next year. They're going to be kind of a fun team to watch. Might make the playoffs. Yeah. And let's face it, even I going through this season with them, 
It was about getting to the playoffs. And that's why, you know, I think there's an element of surprise just in that they've been able to knife through these teams, yeah. you know, and, and it's not that I didn't believe in them. It's just that for so long it was like, hey, we just got to get in. We just got to get in and, and then see what happens. So and here they are, you know, here they are in the World Series. The, and I love it. So that was Meek Mill, right? How yeah. cold is that? Is that cold, Maloney, doing that to them? <laughs> it, it Silly is. guy getting it, you know, I mean, then Alec, did you guys see Alec Thomas? Putting the flag in the ground, National League champions at like Citizen it. Bank Park. It's incredible Park. right there, man. Honestly, uh, Alec Thomas, great. you talk about a young guy that could really benefit from what he's experienced and what I think will will definitely mean for him as a young athlete that is trying to make his way going into next year. Oh, my goodness. They'll Sky's win, the limit. They'll win the series without that home run in game four. Well, all these games are blurring together, but that home run he put in I mean, there's some unbelievable four. moments, you know, I mean, in the series that we're all going to remember. Yes. I mean, the three games at home where the crowd came out, but, yeah, the first one being two to one with the Cattell walk-off and then Alex's big moment in, in – uh, <laughs> did I say game one? Um, you know what I mean, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> Three and four were amazing, and now the World Series. I mean, I can't wait to see. You know, I know that I know the focus shifts to Texas now. I know, but I cannot wait to see the crowd here at Chase Field for these three games coming up. The World Series is back in the Valley. That's yeah, crazy. Man. It's so crazy. Man, I'm trying to think of other good. two teams left standing. Gosh, would we have known this back in February? They start in February. You guys think about that. Yeah, I think these two teams. I know Texas was twenty-two to one, and just in terms of odds at the start. Oh, of the, the playoffs. odds were insane. I heard a lot of people. Uh, I think they were the two longest <laughs> shots at the start of the playoffs. I found out how many of the people I know are really big gamblers, actually, because <laughs> like, everyone was. I mean, you know, I didn't really even look at all that. I mean, I knew they were underdogs. Again, it was a fashionable team to be like, oh, they might surprise, they might make the playoffs, but here they are. Yeah, you know what? Before the season started, we were all excited about it, right? Because yeah. of only. This is going to be a different team to watch in watching these yeah. young guys. Seeing right? Corbin sp- for a whole the speed, season. The athleticism. It was going to be a different brand of baseball, we thought. And it was going to be exciting because we had a mix of veterans, but we had these young guys. With the new rules. With the, the new, new rules, rules. exactly I, just, right. I remember being out at Salt River being like, we don't totally know the ceiling of this team. Right. And we still don't know it. And, and what's interesting about it, with all of that positivity, and you know me, Joe, I'm a positive guy. Yeah. Right? That's what I am. I'm an optimist by nature. But having said that, Looking at it, I was really excited just to watch the growth of these young guys, never expecting they were going to the World Series. Oh, my gosh. You know what I'll say, though, about the new rules and the chaos, and we love it, and that's embrace the chaos. And we did see it. We did see it surface in game six and seven in Philly, but I'll tell you what. I mean, that doesn't always play in the postseason. And so the fact that they were able to win three series – Without, you know, because again, in in the postseason, base runners and chaos is harder to come by. You're facing tougher pitching, especially early in games. You're facing aces. You know, Craig Kimbrell, they they got him. They got Craig Kimbrell, and that also changed this series. So there was a couple turning points, right? And they were able to create some chaos in the later innings. But when you're facing a guy like Zach Wheeler, and everyone, it kind of was a little bit frustrating for me to hear fans, and I'm like, you know, it's not going to show up against everybody's ace or maybe even against a Ranger Suarez or, you know, but the fact that they were able to blend the chaos 
with just some timely hits and some homers and some and some moments at the plate that were smart and getting enough runs. That's what the postseason is about. But the fact, let, make no mistake, this D-backs team right now, it, it, the postseason formula, it's got to start with pitching. And yeah. they are doing it. They are pitching. They are out pitching and the other team. Field their position. And field, and then you get enough <laughs> runs to it. get by. That's that's what the postseason is about. You're not gonna you're not gonna necessarily pile up runs in the postseason. Yeah, they're almost. And, and like I said, we're gonna talk to Mike Hazen in a little bit. I'm sure we'll bring this up. The freaky Mike Hazen. Yes, freaky, the freaky Mike, Mike Hazen. Hazen. Maybe Wolf will sing to him. It's not. It's not that they were built unintentionally to be good in the playoffs, but to be this good this quickly, Jody. They almost. They they seem like a team when you look around these playoffs. It's like. Well, they are top-heavy in the rotation. That's good for the postseason. They can win games different ways. They they started winning games by by the long ball in these playoffs. Like, oh, we have to do it that way? Okay, we'll do it. Or in the last couple of games, they went back to winning like the Diamondbacks with eight stolen bases. The bullpen's been amazing. I mean, you look at... You, it's the it, mash and dash. The mash and dash <laughs> finally mash worked. The mash and dash. dash. Yes, the mash like and dash. That's right. <laughs> the monster. Look, it's Frankenstein, everybody. If you strip the name of the team away and, and you just listed the characteristics, I think more people nationally would think, oh, yeah, this team should be doing this. If you just look at, at how they are built now. If something came up last night. People were giving some props to Dave McKay. I mean, all these guys deserve so much credit. I, I love Dave. D- Dave McKay has been has been doing it for such a long time, and he was prophetic uh, earlier in the season. Evan Longoria told me, I was just standing at the locker talking to him one day in late September about how McKay brought up the 06 Cardinal team that only won 80, 83 or 84 games and how it was about just sticking through the tough times. And I was looking at the makeup of that team. Yadier Molina was like 23 and and Adam Wainwright was 24. And so, and a lot of the guys, I didn't, all the other names were not household names, but it just shows you, and and that was something that he expressed to the team. It's the wisdom of of a guy like Dave McKay. And there's a lot of people providing these young guys with wisdom, but they're not overloading them either. They're picking their spots. They're keeping it simple, letting them have fun. I also loved, so you, you know, you get deep moments like that where they, where they talk and have a meeting and things were not going well. And then Dave McKay brings that up and it just puts in your mind. We could, it puts in your mind. We got we our could own win the Yachty. World Series. Cause again, that 016, they won the world series. Uh-huh. They beat Detroit. They beat the Mets in a seven game series. And I love that that was planted back then. We weren't thinking about that, but they were thinking about it. And then fast forward to Philadelphia where you hear the guys in the clubhouse before these games were just being them doing their normal thing. Yeah. Doing their normal thing, hanging out. And you could just see it, right? We weren't in there, cameras weren't in there, but you could just see Alec and Corbin and and Perdomo. You could just see them kind of hanging out, listening to music, having a snack. And and yet they're able to do all of these things in under pressure. You gotta love that. For Gabby what's coming Marino. in the future, right? What yeah. what's what gonna be too gonna big be? for them? What's what gonna you, be exactly. too hard for them? I'm not even Joe. sure Moreno realizes exactly. that if they had lost either the last two games, their season was over. He's just like, Yeah, well, I'll just go out there and win then. Jody, this was awesome, and we're gonna talk to you again a lot Thanks, more guys. Next week and a so half. So much I'm fun sure. to be Thank here you, talking Jody. World Series <laughs> no, Diamond. World Series. Let that sink in. Yeah. Let it let it sink in, folks. The Diamondbacks are in the World Series again. And it's been a long, long time coming. Um, I thought about doing the Mike Hazen because I really do like to hear Mike Hazen. I, I, you, you know, you guys know, just hearing me a couple minutes ago. 
uh, talking about Mike Hazen, but it's been a long show. It's uh, I've been recording for quite a while. Put a lot of time in in, in doing this, uh, finding everything I would need to find, and then you know ordering it the way I need to order it, doing all that, doing a, doing all the things as they say. Um, it's been a long show, so if you do want to hear Mike Hazen. You go to uh, ArizonaSports.com and the Wolf and Luke show. You'll find it right there. They'll have it, uh, all their interviews, all their topics ready to go. You can go Spotify and check it out. You can check my show out as well. Nice little segue there. Nice little segue. I'm on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Just to name a few places, Big Sky Sports Talk. You can type that in, in the search bar. Um... Uh, I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and uh, YouTube at Big Sky Sports Talk. Just uh, type Big Sky Sports Talk in there and you'll find me. Um, and then you can email Big Sky Sports Talk at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to uh, get emails from you, uh, engaging in the show, asking your questions, making your comments, getting involved in the show. I'm always, always, always looking forward to uh, to uh, get into that. And uh, please like, follow, comment, share, get involved on the post. Uh, tell your friends, family, neighbors, enemies about it. Um, and uh, I always appreciate you guys doing that. Um, D-backs tomorrow, Suns tonight, and uh, Coyotes also tomorrow. I think that about covers it. Um, of course, Cardinals and um, and ASU this weekend. Uh, so, appreciate you guys as always. And until next time, thanks for sticking it out. I know it's been a long one.